0: well mike happy anniversary
1: happy anniversary russ it's our big five oh it's one year One year. 50 50 episodes, not including the um, interviews. And yeah, we've been doing this for one year. We recorded our first ever adult music podcast entitled Hello World. Exactly one year ago today, February 11th, uh, 2021. Today we are recording on February 11th. 2022, and here we are. We've got to stop seeing each other like this. Well, we don't see each other often like this, because no. we
0: are live. We're face-to-face in the mountain lair.
1: Face-to-face in the mountain lair. Today, yeah. We're in the R part of the R&M studio. That's right. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Imagine that. Who who knew? It, yeah. it really went by fast, didn't it? I it feel sure like, did. I feel like we just started this.
0: And, well, on average, we've done six recordings per episode is yeah. our standard. A couple of times we've had... A few more. Yeah, uh, the first first couple episodes, a few less, but that's going to mean what almost fifty three,
1: times six. Yeah, it's a lot of CDs. Three hundred, that's like three hundred. Yeah, <laughs> albums that we've heard. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, it's a pretty good year of listening. That is not, but not only that, but both of us have heard a lot more than those three hundred because oh, sure. we've been listening to other things as well that just didn't get on the yeah. on the podcast. And then there's yeah, all the a few other genres. that... We there might check out. A but, few other genres, yeah, there, yeah. There's that as well. So here we are a year later, uh, just as broke, but with that much more experience and, um, get and whatever. This,
0: we got to get this audience growing no. a little more. It's gradually grown over the year. It has. Got,
1: Thank you, listeners, who were with us for, for the first year. Listeners the world.
0: Listeners to adult music. Yeah. That's who we are. Uh, music with a mature mind, bringing each week, uh, new releases, relatively new in classical and jazz and stretching those genre boundaries a little bit. Uh, we're flexible. Uh, we get in some world influences and, uh, we cover new releases, but the periods of music in classical can be from any time. And, uh, in jazz, jazz is an American, uh, original music form but a lot of the music we talk about comes from all around the globe so we try to keep it international and yeah uh, we do do what we can see what's going on uh, from all corners Right places around the globe. That's right.
1: Yeah. By the way, speaking of the anniversary, as far as listeners are concerned, our first anniversary of our first um, ever podcast, it was uploaded on February 15th. So that's going to be this uh, coming Tuesday. So a lot of you, this will be, we'll put this up on the internet on Monday as usual. That'll be Valentine's Day. Right. In 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 fact, for some of you in the US, for example, it'll be the 13th, February 13th. So um so Sunday night, Monday morning. But our, our the first anniversary of our first upload-loaded podcast would be February 15th. So drink a toast or whatever you do to celebrate such occasions for us on that day.
0: We're going to have some toasts. We're starting a little early, not with our traditional official drink of the podcast, Knob Creek, Yeah, single-barrel bourbon. I guess that's for later. Huh? That's for later. <laughs> but we've got some nice one. We're starting out with... Uh, yeah. Some beer. That's right, the <laughs> premium malts.
1: Or as we say in New York, beer. Beer.
0: Yeah. And we'll go on to... Uh, We've got some nice grass-fed steaks
1: for later. Oh, very nice. It's a big celebration here at the r studio, That's the mountain right. lair.
0: And uh, we're we'll going to take some commemorative photos, photos,
1: too. Which we will share with you.
0: That's right. We'll put those up. And uh, also, we'll add those to our new Facebook page.
1: Yeah, we have a Facebook page now.
0: We do. Uh, anyway, this is episode 50. And for our listeners, I'd like to remind you, if you go to the episode description on whatever platform you're listening to us on, all the music we'll talk about will should have links to Spotify and Apple Music so, so you can check it out on streaming and decide if you're interested in purchasing it. Uh, at the top of the description, there's a link to the full episode playlist. That's all the music that's available for streaming in one place, on Deezer, our preferred streaming platform. Uh, you can also follow us on the podcast there too and check out all of the playlists for every episode. Username is Adult Music Podcast. Now, if you can't see the full description uh, or the links don't work on whatever platform or app you're looking at, uh, please check us out on our host, Podbean. Everything's easy to follow there. Now, if you enjoy the podcast, uh, do follow or subscribe on whatever app or platform you're listening to us on. If you just take another few seconds to give us a ranking or write a review, that helps us uh, get listed in the browsing category recommendations and helps us get new listeners, which uh, we always appreciate. Anything above and beyond that, if you want to contact us directly, we'd love to hear from you with any comments, questions. And we've heard
1: from a few people. It's kind of always nice to hear from you, all of you.
0: Yeah, we've heard from a few of the uh, artists that yeah. we talk about. And right, that's, uh,
1: they've been great. They're kind of they're kind of excited to hear their yeah music talked about in detail.
0: In detail. So, yeah. if you are an artist uh, or just a regular listener, we'd like to know more about our audience. Be happy to correspond with you. Our email address is. Adult Music Podcast, all one word, at com, And you can also check us out on our new Facebook page, which uh, is you know, kind of under construction, but all the episodes are there anyway. We'll yeah, we'll eventually photos. get our
1: own webpage too. One day we'll get around to this, but uh, right. not yet. You know, it's just all, it's all, you know, f- th- this fly-by-night operation we've got going. Right. We're just kind of building around it, and eventually we'll just be this big edifice, you know, the... Hey, well, the important yeah. we start with the important things. The important the, uh, thing, the music itself. You're talking
0: about the music. Yeah. the uh, sound quality should be good because we've got the tools for that and uh, yeah, keep up the good releases and all the other peripheral stuff uh, We'll work on it as we come. So
1: yeah now unfortunately, we have to start talking our 50th our 50th episode and our first anniversary podcast with some sad news of the passing of the American composer George Crum. Do you, do you know much, George Crumb? I don't Crumb?
0: know too much about him. I've heard a few I of have, his compositions. I have, but...
1: Bridge Records was putting out a, a, I think they were trying to do his complete work, so they were doing a lot of them. And I think I've got about eight volumes of that. I should really look back into it. Um, but George Crumb is uh, most famous for his uh, his work, Black Angels, for Electric String Quartet. When when I was in college and I saw the words Electric String Quartet, I had to hear that. Hmm. Um That was that it was a vietnam war kind of um protest sort of uh piece and which you know was pretty much far for the course back then but it was um it's pretty spooky it's a really uh kind of it's 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 avant-garde first of all it's not uh, for the faint-hearted listeners so if you're looking for to you know relax in your bachelor pad after work at night you definitely don't want to put this on but uh it's it's a work worth hearing if you haven't heard it there's another work and i can't oh man who was this was this Kathy Barbarian or John DeGaetani, one of them, was the singer on uh, Ancient Voices of Children, um, released on Nonesuch way, way back in the day. Mm. That's his other really famous work. And the rest, um, there was a great recording by a a pianist that we really love on the Hyperion label, um, Stephen Osborne. Oh, yeah. Um, He did um, these christmas works by george crumb which really didn't sound very Christmassy, but they were, <laughs> as you can imagine he was an avant-garde composer always in search of uh interesting sounds at which he got a lot of i certainly uh had an ear that gravitate i have an ear that gravitated towards his music and um so may he rest in peace we're was sorry he to 92 or something he was like 92 that? oh that's a good run that's a good yeah, run. rest in peace yes that's a that is a good run and uh i guess we'll start hearing some uh commemorative uh, albums coming out maybe this year maybe next year that could be cool we'll have to look out for them
0: look forward to that
1: yeah but tonight
0: we're going to uh, start in the renaissance we're going back to the renaissance renaissance men here we are renaissance Renaissance men aren't we okay do a little bit
1: of this and a little bit of that some
0: writing some uh, yeah music (laughs) some talking about music maybe we're
1: renaissance wannabes could be okay yeah
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah
1: i don't know
0: yeah i'm actually happier to live in the modern period and talking about renaissance works rather than
1: yeah having lived although judging by this record um it might not have been that bad let's discuss it yeah anyway this is an album called the florentine renaissance and the artists are the orlando consort the orlando consort consists of four singers Counter-tenor Matthew Venner, and you hear a lot of him on this mm. record. He really stands out. Uh, tenor Mark Dobell, tenor Angus Smith, and baritone Donald Greig. It's spelled G-R-I-E-I-G, so it's not. It's like the opposite of Greig. In German, it would be Greig. I don't know. Mm. Anyway, but that, there it is. He's the baritone. And this is released by the Hyperion label, one of our favorite labels, but... You can't hear this on your streaming service. They don't put uh, their records on streaming. No streaming. But you can go to their website and sample all the tracks. They give you a 30-second sample. So you're just going to have to trust us on this one. We're going to talk about what we heard. Um, and I would recommend this album. But again, it's you have to kind of be interested in this era of music, okay, to really want to pick this up. Okay. Um I didn't, boy, I didn't really write much about <laughs> I wrote about it, the tracks here, but uh, this this is basically divided into two parts. Um, the first six tracks on this album are from the 1430s to the 1450s. Now, remember, the Italian Renaissance was the first Renaissance. Um, it started before the, uh, the rest of Europe kind of caught on, and it was really the de' Medici family in Florence that really Kicked the whole thing off. There was the um, rediscovery of ancient Greek and Roman texts, all those old Greek myths and um, the, the ideas from ancient Greece, mathematics, all this came back, started the Renaissance, which eventually led to the Enlightenment, which eventually led to basically the Western world that we all live in now. Um, so it all, it all pretty much starts here. Now, this is the Florentine Renaissance. I've, I, myself, have spent a lot of time in Florence, uh, Italy, and I um, really gravitated towards this recording because I'm so interested in anything that's going to fill in my understanding of that city and its past, and this certainly does that. Okay, so the rest of the recording, by the way, after track six, uh, deals with the 1460s to the 1490s and uh, the rule of Lorenzo de' Medici, Lorenzo il Magnifico, the Great, um, was the He was really the big mover and shaker in the the Medici family. Um, And he commissioned a lot of music and wrote some uh, poems himself that we're going to hear his words on this album, too. All right, let's start. Um, The 1430s to 1450s featured the music of Guillaume Dufay, and there's one work by Gilles Binchois on this. Now, these names may not sound very Italian to you, and in fact, they shouldn't because they're not. But um, in this period... Italy was a musical center. Uh, The Baroque hadn't started yet. The Baroque really started in Italy, and that's when you start hearing a lot of these Italian names. But a lot of these composers came from... They were ultramontagni, according to the Italians. They were from beyond the mountains, from Flanders, basically. Up there. Yeah, So, and that's going to include uh, Dufay and, I believe, Binchois as well. Um, We start with a a work by Dufay and... um, these works are all were all performed at the dedication of the duomo in Florence Santa Maria del Fiore the duomo. The, the the big famous dome of brunelleschi that's really so magnificent okay and uh it was, this was interesting for me cuz i could imagine what it might have been like anyway track 1 guillaume dufay nuper rosarum flores now this is going to be a by the way this recording is going to be a um a combination of sacred or church and secular everyday song kind of recording. So you have the sacred uh, songs that deal with uh, the Christian stories and the the people populating the Christian story, and then you have these secular stories that are often pretty naughty. Mm. It's quite a combination. <laughs> those Italians, I'll tell you. I tell you, you just can't. Yeah, you just can't. Um, can't contain those hey. Italians, you know. It's
0: that naughty, nice continuum. Yeah, he got to balance that, it out. Yeah, yeah. Okay.
1: So, <laughs> oh, God. I, kinda, I had an image there that I'm not going to share. Okay, anyway. Guillaume Dufay first. Nuper Rosarum Flores, which means late roses blossom. And this is combined with a work called Terribilis Est Locus Iste, which one way to say it would be Terrible is this place. But when they say terrible, people don't really think of this. The roots of the word, you know, terribilis in Latin, it could be terrible and also terrific. Right. Or awe-inspiring. Right. So something terrible is also awe-inspiring. A, a
0: degree rather than a right a, um, It's kind of been reduced negative,
1: to just awful now. But right. uh, terrible can still mean, you know, his terrible, you know, um, power, Right, which doesn't mean it's bad power. It means it's just awe-inspiring power. Mm. Okay, so you can we can still use it like that too. So awesome is this place. Basically, we're going to translate it that way. And he's talking about the inside of Santa Maria del Fiore, which is um a, a sparsely decorated place. It's pretty dark in there. There, it isn't mm. like one of these places that has like loads of paintings all over the uh, walls, but it does have some. Especially if you go under the duo- the dome itself, there are loads of um, frescoes up there. Okay. And some on the walls as well. Um, this text draws attention to the golden rose, Rosarum Flores, um, which is um, was given to Florence by the Pope as a sign of favor back in the Renaissance era. And you can still see it, I believe today, displayed on the cathedral altar. Um, this was Pope Eugene, who we don't really remember mm. unless you... <laughs> he happened to uh, i guess live in florence you'll probably remember that he was the pope at the time that the uh, cathedral was dedicated he's mentioned by name in this uh tune as well so there he is he lives on even if we mm. don't remember him the final two stanzas are about the cathedral's dedicatee the virgin mary uh santa Maria. right uh they were a plea for her help in gaining forgiveness for sins the higher voices sing this text and the lower voices sing Terribilis est locus iste, um, which is not a different tune, but it's actually just those words repeated over and mm. over again, um, which are derived from the opening words of the intro it chant at the mass for the dedication of a church. Okay, and uh, they come from the word awe-inspiring is this place. Uh, Jacob uh, said them in when he dreams of the ladder, Jacob's ladder um, leading to heaven. And he says, after he wakes up, all inspiring is this place. So that's where that comes from. Um, this chant also, this whole, the chant, meaning the whole piece, it's it's really more of a chant. It has a bit of numerology too. If you go to the uh, Duomo in Florence and you look up, you'll notice that it's an octagon. It's got eight okay. sides. It's not perfect. It's not round inside. It's kind of based on eight sides. And um, the... Um, the measurement of each section is 28 bracci. Uh, braccio is like your arm length. So it'd be about two feet. So each of them is like 28 times two feet mm. is what, 56 feet, I guess, long. Um, so Dufay in this uh, piece has made his um, this piece into eight sections of 28 bar segments each. Mm. Not like we're going to count them, but... They are there. So there's kind of a relationship between the piece and the church itself. Um, let me see. Uh, this particular piece, the Orlando Consort, performs this with a lot of presence and enthusiasm as they do throughout. This is a pretty enthusiastic group, I have to say. They have en- good energy, um, particularly the countertenor voice. Um, the recording is astonishingly clear, which I guess isn't a surprise when you have only four voices in this kind of large space. You can hear all the detail extremely well. Um um, which it's essential for polyphonic music that the recording be clear too because there's a lot of detail. And I've really been pretty impressed by a lot of the polyphonic music we've been hearing in the last two years on this podcast. The Lord voices singing awe-inspiring is this place. Come in with the second verse. So you won't hear them at the beginning. There is lots of melisma on vowel sounds. Melisma, it's a nice word, isn't it? Mm. It's when you have a vowel, like you have, you're have, you singing uh, dog and you say dog. And it, that could go on forever, especially if you're singing Italian, which has loads of vowels in right. every word. It's a very musical language for that reason. That's what they mean by Italian being musical. It has a lot of vowel right. sounds. Okay.
0: How do they do that in Polish? That well, German harder, is the yeah. other German, one, right? Yeah, because um,
1: yeah, it has lots of consonants. Right. It's, it's uh, <laughs> there was a really there was a really funny thing that uh, Robert Greenberg when he was t- he did this. Um, what do you call it now? The, the great courses. He has this course, how to listen to and understand great music. Mm. And he was talking about the difference between the Italian and German approach to music. And he said, Italian wound up being the more conservative um, musical styles because the Italian language is already very musical. So they figured out how to set the words to music and they pretty much kept it like that for centuries. Whereas German... Um, is not a musical language, and yet you think German is one of the great musical cultures of the world. Well, part of the reason Instrumentally, that happened is, yeah. but, well, even vocally, because they After, had to keep yeah. experimenting yeah. in order to figure out how to get all the juice out of their um right um their language. Now, the thing about instrumental music is, it comes from vocal music. It's mm. the the ideas that you discover in vocal music generally get applied to. Um, instrumental music so it's it's sort of an offshoot really um and (laughs) he demonstrated the difference between the uh musicality of uh italian and german by saying the uh the names of the languages in their languages so if you can listen the word for italian in italian is italiano now we could sing that word forever, couldn't we? Listen to sure. all of those vowels. Italiano, right? And the word for German in German is Deutsch. Not gonna get much out of that. No. But you're gonna have to work really hard. And that's what they did. And then they became the the dominant musical culture for um in Europe for hundreds of years until really the Second World War just kind of ended everything. Actually before that too, the French started to hmm. Pull us away from that too with Debussy and Ravel. They came up with a distinctively French style. Uh, Anyway, that's your music lesson for today. (laughs) A little, little uh, cultural information for you here. (laughs) So we're hearing this is actually a Latin piece, which is pretty. It has a pretty good balance Hmm. between consonant and vocal. By the way, at the other end of the scale um, is French, which is very vocal heavy. It's got very soft. Consonants and consonants uh, flow with
0: the vowels very easily. Though.
1: Yeah, they melt into and the the French just developed a style where the chords will melt into other chords to sort of simulate the French language. So it's pretty interesting. But Italian has like a perfect val- balance between consonant and vowel. So that's why it sounds so musical to our ears. Okay. Um, if by the way, if you listen to the first track, if you listen to the uh, words oratione tua in the 4th verse listen to the o on oratione there's a really nice melismatic pattern on that particular vowel alright on to track 2 Dufai again this is a chant sung by well it's it's what's called monophonic Uh, music lesson number 2 there are really 3 types of approach to vocal music well or to melodic music monophonic polyphonic and homophonic. Now, monophonic is what people sing when they're at a a football game. They're all singing the same note. Okay. And they might be singing octaves maybe. And if they're singing dominance it's by accident, okay? Or like fifths. It just kind of happens naturally. But they're all basically singing the same thing. Mm. Uh, as we know, polyphonic is uh, voice against voice, all the voices are doing something different. And homophonic is really what a pop song would be today. You have a one melodic line that's really important and the rest of them are just kind of in the background somewhere, but they're there, okay? Mm -hmm. So that would be homophonic music where one voice stands out. Here we have a monophonic chant. It's just one vocal line, and that's it. Um, And it's also three different texts. Salve flos tusque gentis, vos nunc etrusque iubeo, and viri mendaces. Okay, obviously I don't speak Latin, but um, I I went for my uh, Italian-style pronunciation here. This is also eight, eight segments of 28 breves. A breve would be the note that comes on the first beat. And it just gets held oh, the, the length of an entire measure. Okay, so this is also made for the opening of the cathedral. The top voices. This is kind of interesting text. The top voices praise the men of Florence, hmm. <laughs> which which today automatically makes it not, <laughs> not, not uh, permissible. But no. anyway... Praise the men of Florence, and a different text um, sung simultaneously in the second highest voice praises Florence's women. How nice. Yeah. Every, everybody's it great. Sounds equal. That's that's the way we, it should be. What about... Uh... Yeah. Oh, never mind. Yeah, no, let's not get yeah. into that. Okay, that's not I okay. know what you're going But they they have their place, too. Yeah, okay. <laughs> okay. Uh, Dufay, the, uh, the author of the text, he, he actually wrote this himself, and names himself in the last line of the second text... Uh, The lower vocal ranges create a darker sound. The tenor sings a fragment of chant uh, over and over again. Viri mendaces means lying men. Hmm. And they just keep repeating this under these two other texts that are celebrating the men and women of Florence. Now, nobody really knows what that means. But... um, the author of the booklet seems to think it may refer, he didn't say it does, but may refer to the enemies that forced Cosimo de' Medici, who was um, uh, the great Lorenzo's, I think, father or grandfather, into exile. Uh, oh. This work is organized by repeating rhythmic patterns called isorhythm. So you're going to hear the same rhythmic pattern over and over again, basically. Mm. But they're long enough that you're not going to recognize that it's a pattern. Because they go on too long. Uh, this was developed, as, well, it was brought to its peak by Machot like over 150 years earlier or so, or 120 years earlier. It's kind of odd to hear the tenor singing only the words lying men under all this praise. Uh, and I, it, it had listening to this, I was thinking these are the low voices singing this and mm-hmm. lying men, and maybe just the lowness of the voices means they're in hell, they're where they belong, underneath, you know, the. Uh, Men and women being praised or something like that. Could be. Yeah. Track three, dufai Salve Flos Tusque Gentis. Oh, I already talked about this one. Sorry. I uh, went ahead. Sorry. <laughs> track two was Nuper Almos Rose Flores, uh, created for Santa Maria del Fiore. This is the only place this text exists. It's a monophonic chant. Beautiful in its modal scale. Very, okay. So that was track two. I just talked about track three before. Now we're on to track four. Dufai, vane mio core. We now have something in Italian. Okay. Mm -hmm. Uh, So this is going to be a secular. Well, actually, no, it's not. It's a a lauda. Lauda, as you can imagine, lauding someone. It's praising someone. And these were often sung to some um, saint, basically, to praise their virtues. Mm -hmm. And um, often, as was done in the Renaissance, they were... um, sung to a popular tune and this one comes from the uh, secular tune vaten Mon Coeur," which was a French tune hmm. um, So this one um, let's see they're often yeah this this is usually sung by a boy with organ accompaniment but here we have two untexted supporting voices substituting for the organ. this is this, this uh, recording is all voices. The text was written by Fao Belkadi, uh, it's short and uncomplicated give it a try next we have uh the only piece on this album by Gilles Binchois Van mio core and then uh, this come this is um a lauda and um comes from the popular tune pour uh, prison for prison <laughs> hmm. this this often happens you'll have some body text it's kind of like blues and gospel we hmm. have this kind of like sort of naughty text that the music just mm. get, has the words changed and it's sung in church. Okay, so it works the same way. It doesn't sound the same, obviously. <laughs> okay. okay, okay, the words in quotation marks here are the chanson. This lorde should be sung-like, so if you're looking at the text booklet. The harmonic and melodic profile of this work is noticeably different than the previous one, Vendemio Core, and it's interesting how the melody in the higher voice can give the work a different tint Although the singer doesn't change his tone, the uh, countertenor still sounds the same. Um, What's really making this work is the variety of uh, different works that they chose, because they don't really change their approach too much Mm. uh, during this album. It does stay interesting, though. Track six, Dufay, Mirandas Parit Heik Urbs Florentina, is in a cantalena style, characterized by two high voices that intertwine beguilingly above a freely composed tenor that is not based on a chant. They usually were, but not in this case. And again, this one praises the women of Florence. Ben, they really must have been something, because Dante had something for uh, yeah. the ladies, for um, Beatrice. I mean, he wrote a whole, probably the <laughs> greatest poem ever written about her. How or it, were they when you inspired were Inspired by her. Uh, yeah, they were okay. They haven't oh. uh, fallen too far from the, uh, the uh, ideal being presented oh. here, I have to say. Um, if you look at the paintings of, um, uh, oh man, you know, escaping me now, (laughs) uh, any of the paintings in the Uffizi gallery, just go in there. Mm. Um, Botticelli, that's who I'm thinking of. Look at the women's faces in there. They're often blue eyed and kind of like reddish blonde haired. These, this very kind of like light pale skin mm. they, they're just beautiful so i imagine uh, would have been a good place to be back in the oh,
2: right.
1: renaissance why not something to look at <laughs> <laughs> oh boy and sing about and sing about too okay so praising the um the women of florence okay um so, wait, hey florentina okay um the text is probably by dufy we're back into latin and but because it's a this kind of work it starts by praising the women of Florence but of course there's someone better than the women of Florence and that is the virgin mother of god mary she's just ideal she surpasses the others in distinction and body and uh, so far the program i would say is uh, cleverly planned so that we get different vocal colors out of the ensemble based on the harmony and compositional approach not necessarily by any change mm that they 're making the voices are all appealing, and the counter tenor Matthew Venner, as I mentioned, stands out in the quality of his tone he doesn 't really sound like a lot of the other counter tenors we 've heard on this program, mm. though he 's not a soloist and please remember when you 're listening to works like this, especially a polyphonic work, all of the voices are equally important, right. so not necessarily the one on top you got we 're so used to hearing. The melody on top of everything else so we need to make that adjustment it'll change your mind in your life if you do that so give it a try um by the way one or two passing harmonies in this work are fantastically bold um like on one of the vowels on kwa in the last line uh there's some really harsh harmonies in there that we really love you know mm-hmm. they just kind of happen Okay we get to the second half of the program on track 7 the 1460s to the 1490s now Lorenzo de Medici is in the story as is um the monk Savonarola okay who uh after the Medici's were exiled kind of took over and sort of brought people back to the church or something like that i don't know how to explain what he did he preached a lot <laughs> and inspired a lot of music and wrote some texts himself um this first um the first thing we have are a bunch of carnival songs and the carnival is um, like Mardi Gras, basically. Mm. Um, it's um, the, the day or the few days before um, Lent begins. And back in these days, Lent was a big deal. You were pretty much fasting for 40 days. Not in any like extreme way, but you weren't eating during the day, basically. Mm. And um, it was a long period of time. So people would just go crazy on uh, the Tuesday, especially before Lent. Uh, called Carnavale in Italy and um they didn't just eat a lot and drink a lot but they uh caroused a lot. Oh. There wasn't going to be much of that during Lent. You had to be a yeah. a good person, right? And uh some of these um texts are pretty naughty. We, hmm. People must have been really getting it on in Florence at this period. Um the first uh piece here is anonymous. It's called Hora mai che fora son. Um In this text, a young woman exults after escaping the convent and discarding her habit. Uh oh. One copyist labeled the song as a canzona napoletana, and it is very catchy, Mm. um, noticeably different from the previous works with a more defined rhythm. Uh, It's almost dancey, I would say. Mm -hmm. Um, It's um, by, okay, the author of the text is anonymous as well. We have another anonymous text or and song coming up. Quanto quando riguardo el nostro viver rio. This is a lauda for Saint Sebastian, who was a Roman centurion martyred by for his conversion to Christianity. Uh, you can see, um, you've probably seen paintings of him. He's got a bunch of arrows in his body. That's um, <laughs> <laughs> Saint Sebastian. If you ever walk into a church and see that image, he was he was a he was a Roman originally. Okay. Well, he always was a Roman, but he just converted to Christianity, which I guess wasn't done then. They were still pagans. Mm. Okay.
0: Not done carousing.
1: Yeah. they. <laughs> this would have been long yeah. before. <laughs> this is in the Roman, when ancient Rome was still around. Although it was still around here, technically, in Constantinople, but it was about to hey. meet its end. Okay. Um. Okay, so he was. Um, this piece typifies the unadorned music of Florentine religious song in a style suited to amateur singers. Um, all singers pronounce the words together, so it's a monophonic, I guess. The melody has a popular song quality and a noticeable rhythmic profile. Track 9, um, possibly by Heinrich Isaac or Isaac. One, he was uh, Flemish, and he was one of the uh, preferred composers of Lorenzo il Magnifico de hmm. Medellin. Uh, this might be by him, or it might be an anonymous composition. We're not really sure. It's called Canto dello Zibetto. Now, a zibetto is a civet, um, and a civet is an animal from the cat family. It kind of has a barred or spotted coat and hunts at night okay, and by the way the um Italian word civetta is also used for a prostitute today <laughs> so uh
2: hmm.
1: the, the you already had this sort of innuendo going on right. at this time with this word um zibetto okay this this piece is um <laughs> Italian's really interesting that way it's got a lot of really hmm. interesting words for um well not civetta, not a prostitute it's a woman who's very uh alluring i guess. Mm. Uh, it's hard to, I'm not finding the words for this. Anyway, uh, this piece is um, missing its upper part in the printed text, and it was reconstructed for this recording. The text is by Lorenzo de' Medici himself. Believe it or not, he must have really been some kind of ladies' man writing mm. things like this. It's a carnival song, and he wrote a lot of these. Um, here's an example of the sexual innuendo in this song. Ready? Um <laughs> I'm gonna. This is the English translation. I should have translated myself. Cause this this uh. translation is probably copyrighted, although the Italian wouldn't be. But anyway, it says one takes a probe, about a third of an arm length, blunted so that it doesn't puncture the inside. Ouch! One plunges it in, and it must be completely lubricated. Oh, ladies, you will think it is a sweet delight. Yao. <laughs> what year was this again? 1460. Wow. Now, if you've ever read uh, Boccaccio's Decameron, there's some pretty naughty stories in that uh, collection mm. as well. So, um I don't know. The uh the Catholic Church didn't really get to clamp down on not enough it, the way Italians uh, behaved. Not enough. Yeah. Yeah, maybe. I, I I don't know. How about this? Only meat without the bone is pleasing to it. He's talking about the civet animal. And other an- another animal as well, uh, but it wants it often and in big mouthfuls if possible. Then, from two sacks under its back, as you will hear, the civet excretes musk. <laughs> <Wow>. <laughs> what, what went down in Renaissance Florence? I, um, I got to tell you, I have to excuse me. And yeah. I have to like towel off <sighs> here for a moment. I'm kind of getting all hot wow. and hot and sweaty from this text. Yeah. Anyway, that's um. If you want to hear that, it's called the Canto dello Zibetto. I recommend listening with the text in front of you. Yeah. So you're going to have to buy the CD, basically.
2: If you although, need
0: those notes, yeah.
1: Although I think uh, Hyperion might have put them up on their website. They definitely have the uh, hmm. the booklet notes. They, they might have the okay. text, too. I didn't check. Okay. Another one by Isaac. Um, o Maligno e Duro Core. Text by Lorenzo de' Medici. This is a Lauda. And uh, sung to the um, music of canto de Profumi which we heard earlier uh, this is more serious it laments Jesus's death so I guess um uh, Cosimo had uh, not Cosimo this is for Lorenzo had to de Medici had to um you know he had to balance out the uh his mm. uh spiritual uh life there with um, text praising praising the Lord as well uh track 12 is an anonymous uh composition Ben Vengamaggio text by angelo poliziano this is a song for spring after lent it was performed by the young women while jousters so guys on horses mm. i guess with their big long lances uh were entering into the arena it's got a cheerful lilting rhythm and the song celebrates how men and women fall in love in may mm. these are the most of eff- this era's songs of the sort are really the most effective ones i think Track 13, Isaac, Prophetarum, Maxim. Um, This song celebrates St. John the Baptist, patron saint of Florence. Uh, The text is Latin, from the Gospels of John and Luke. And the vocals are scattered harmony, with syllables popping out of the texture, making the words clear. Uh, This is a pretty long work at almost seven minutes. And I'm impressed here by the countertenor's colors in various verses, which he keeps the interest up. As the rest of the ensemble is excellent as well. I certainly don't want to shortchange them um his cha his timbre changes the countertenors as he goes into the higher range and it darkens in the lower range which kind of made this really a treat for the ear uh track 14 isaac again triumfo della Dei, um from the uh, popular song ne più bella di questa uh, a triumfo or triumph um is it features costume characters on an elaborately decorated wagon Pulled by oxen. So it's sort of like a modern parade float. Mm. Um, things haven't really changed that much. If you've ever been to Carnival, um, this tradition still exists. Except they're on motored vehicles now. The song highlights the distinctive benefits promised to Florence by Juno, Minerva, and Venus. Okay, so mm. we are in the uh, the more pagan ancient Roman uh, vein here. Um, This has a kind of professional square, processional, sorry, not professional, processional square quality to it. It's like something you could walk to. Nothing Mm. tricky about the rhythms here. Um, It speeds up and changes rhythm as it goes on from four to dotted rhythm to dotted three, four. Uh, The change from four to three was very popular in this era. That was like Mm. a really much used variation way of varying the music. And it's always effective. I always like hearing it. Although we're not hearing it all the time, Mm. so these days. Um, Into the early Baroque, they used it. Um, The text is in Italian for that one. Track 15 is Heinrich Isaac again. Cori Fortuna, as we know, Fortuna was a big um, character in the medieval era uh, she had a wheel and you would be somewhere on the wheel and she'd spin it and your fortune would either go up or down but it mm. but, but it was a wheel so if it was going up it would eventually go down again so yeah, the wheel of fortune the wheel of fortune yeah. there you go uh, text here is by Serafino Aquilano um, it says here this is a song to be performed in the intimacy of private chambers, though I really don't know why. If you listen to the text,
0: yeah, after those other ones, I uh, know some of the other this, ones. You I could think, do this anywhere.
1: Well, the one that we talked about about the zibet, the civet, those would have been sung, um, um, yeah, you know, by men in the street to women who were hiding kind of behind a screen the singers were all masked they would wear masks ah, right. and they'd be in the piazza and they'd address them to young women safely hidden behind a sheer curtain yeah. in their windows on an upper floor and right. so they'd all be probably giggling and stuff right. like that I could just imagine all right the uh the music fits the first half of the poem then repeats for the last four lines and it has been suggested that Isaac's music where Isaac's music captures the motion of Fortune's wheel as it turns. The second half of the setting climbs steadily upward as the wheel ascends. At the conclusion, Fortune turns her wheel downward and plunges anyone clinging to it into the dust. Ooh. All of our fates, apparently. Yes. Hmm. Track 16. Isaac, again, he really gets the lion's share in this section of the recording. (inaudible) La quel cal fugge. This is missing its original bass part and was reconstructed for this recording. In the text, the love, the sick speaker suffers, but remains doggedly steadfast. Okay, this is real Italian stuff now. The tone of the music is somber and has a soft glow to it. Check seventeen. Isaac quis dabit capiti meo aquam. Um, this is a piece written in memory of Lorenzo de' Medici. He died unexpectedly in early April 1492, which, as you remember, was also the year Columbus uh, set sail for America at the behest of King Ferdinand and Queen mm. Isabella in Spain. Um, a commemorative motet was required for Lorenzo, being the great man that he was. Uh, Angelo Poliziano provided the Latin text. And what's interesting about this is in the third section, the tenor voice drops out, a symbolic move representing the absence of Lorenzo. Mm. Um, the ending emphasis on peace reflects Lorenzo's, Lorenzo's role as the peacemaker in Italy during his lifetime. War erupted again after he died. Uh, there's an ear-catching harmony right at the opening, and the absence of the tenor voice in the third verse is dramatic and very noticeable. Track 18, Anonymous... Uh, music, Ora mai sono in età. And the text is also by an anonymous author. Uh, the first two stanzas are by Feo Balcari, apparently. I couldn't really make out what the booklet was telling me here. The same music as Hora uh, mai che a song which we heard earlier, only this time the singer is eager to take religious vows and don the habit of the nun. Hmm. So uh, Savonarola was in Florence at about this time, and he uh, encouraged the singing of it. It's a lauda. And the particular chant is very plain, sung monophonically. It sounds like a church chant, so the wheel has spun. Mm-hmm. Track 19 is anonymous Kefai um, Qui Core. Text is by Savonarola. Uh, the music is adapted from Poliziano's Ben Vengamaggio. This particular piece has fairly upbeat music, like a popular song. Um, the Kefai Qui Core sung in the chorus is very catchy. And the singers urge the heart to go to its love, which is Jesus, who sweetly inflames the heart. Yeah, it's kind of a little surprise twist yes. there. You thought it was going to be a sort of a naughty song, and it turns out that they're they encouraging you to go to Jesus. He, he, was, he was a slick one, that uh, mm. Savonarola. Savonarola. I don't know. Mm-hmm. i got to get the um, pronunciation of that. Pronunciation is a big issue on this uh, podcast, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> There's
0: nothing. Not too much room to get comfortable. We're always shifting languages and eras and everything
1: else. Yeah. Yeah, Well, maybe at the end we'll actually be uh, really... We're
0: getting edified anyway. We are being edified. linguistic challenges.
1: Track 20, Anonymous uh, Composer, Viva Viva in Nostro Core. This is a religious version of the carnival song, Viva Viva la Ragione, Reason. Mm. Okay, Live On Reason Um, would be the secularist... Um, text the text here is political and calls for Christ to combat Pharaoh and that's an apparent res- reference to Pope Alexander VI <laughs> the Borgia Pope who was really evil <laughs> okay he, he was a horrible person boy what a mess the church was in these days you think it you think that it has problems now boy <laughs> murder yeah. bodies dumped into the Tiber orgies wow <laughs> just horrible stuff well great stuff but except yeah. the, the church shouldn't be doing it let's just say that the music has a more popular tune profile and the text renders Jesus as king of Florence there's a fairly catchy repeating chorus as well finally we arrive at the last work track 21 Heinrich Isaac Quis dabit Pacem Populo Tumenti a lament that addresses Lorenzo in heaven as if he were a secular saint he's referred to as holy Lorenzo
0: Holy Lorenzo. Holy Lorenzo. <laughs> <laughs>
1: um, oh, Holy Medici. Sorry, they call him Holy Medici. Holy Medici. I can see that becoming, yeah. Uh, yeah. Exclamation. A, a swear word. This work cries out for peace, too. Uh, after Lorenzo died, there were lots of war. Mm. Uh, the text of the first part draws from a Roman play about the death of Hercules. Uh, This is a polyphonic type setting with voices entering at different points on the same text. And it's a nice way to end the album. In sum, uh, these voices in in this uh, ensemble, um, the Orlando Consort really are made for each other. They sound really good together and unique as well. Um, It's good ensemble singing. The smallness of the ensemble allows the texts to shine through. So I'd say this is an excellent recording of interesting music. And I have to also say that I have like kind of a a special kind of interest in this, having spent so much time in Florence and always wanting to know more about it. So it's got of historical interest as well. A good history lesson for the period.
0: Yeah, I enjoyed this one a lot. I like acapella music. Uh, I find it sort of meditative and yeah. um, it helps me focus. And Did- I like the sparseness of
1: did you find that uh, on this one too? Cause I did. Not like a straight church. No, I did. You know, thing. you
0: know because the thing I like about it. Well, here what's interesting too is there's four male voices. The yeah. tenor is handling the high part, um, but they have a good blend. The recording itself is very clear, uh, so you can hear, you know, all the details. Uh, the. The quality of the recording just highlights what they're doing, which includes fabulous intonation. Yes, singing a cappella, things can always go off pitch a little bit. I don't sense that here at all, and the enunciation is really great. Uh, you can hear, you know, the little nuances in their voices, uh, the pronunciation, uh, and not just pronunciation, but the musicality of you know what they're saying.
1: Yeah. And- so. I just want to say good work to the uh, Hyperion recording engineer, uh, Ben Connellan, and And the recording producer, Mark Brown. What I particularly
0: like about music from this period is the, you know, the unexpected uh, voice leading Uh, things happen that you're not always prepared for. And then the surprising uh, harmonies that develop sometimes. Uh, You get some you know, dissonances you were unprepared for. And it doesn't have the predictability that Baroque music that came later did. So, um, you know, every once in a while when you get sort of in a lull, some little harmonic surprise that's a right. lot more tension causing than previous things comes out. And uh, that's always a joy of this kind of music.
1: Yeah, so. but why is Baroque music predictable is it because that's the way we learned counterpoint in school or because we learned it from like um, palestrina on basically and i guess it was a little more predictable well, but i think it's two things we think... learned this kind of music in school it's kind of even recordings of it. the scholarship is all yeah. new as well
0: i think it's one is our perspective uh looking back at yeah you know the things that have become standard mm. bach and then later you know classical music right. but i think also maybe before baroque
1: things weren't as codified yeah oh yeah exactly and yeah so by the same token though we didn't even learn the non-codified no, no, we music didn't. either but if we, at the time it might have sounded <laughs> right. really if you you know if you were immersed yeah. in that is is what i'm saying i don't yeah. know i'm just kind of speculating it just
0: uh yeah it it does seem even though it's earlier sometimes to me it seems more adventurous yeah. sometimes in the does, liberties yeah. taken and that is uh what i find a particular uh interest
1: uh in this era by the way if you're sitting there saying to yourself you know mike's right they do mispronounce a lot of of names (laughs) let me just say it's it's just the two of us here okay so uh if, if there's money coming in maybe we can get some uh researchers to help us out or you know producers to help us out with some of that so uh i think we're doing pretty well actually with the names yeah not too bad in general I'm just stumbling over them.
0: Well, you know, if I have to um, put the time into musical research or phonetic research. We're going to go for the music. Go for the music.
1: Although I do have a website that, um, you know, pronounces words and names. Mm -hmm. But the the internet is so, like, worthless. (laughs) It's It's not always reliable. Because it's just anybody could put up. The pronunciation, you know, and mm-hmm. a lot of them get it wrong. Yeah. Like I've I heard like just certain English words pronounced like wrong. And I'm like, what do what do you. Yeah. I mean, they might have that? some guy from Queens there. reciting yeah. them, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Did you ever hear that um, there was a David Letterman thing um, where someone wrote in, it was on viewer mail. This is back in the, oh God, it must've been the early nineties. Uh-huh. Um, th- that song. Oh no. It had to be the eighties. Yeah, somebody had written in saying that he thinks that um the song Billie Jean by Michael Jackson, he says he could swear that um that Michael Jackson is singing the chair is not my son.
0: Oh. <laughs> I think there's a whole website dedicated to that lyrics. There, there lyrics. should be because it's hilarious. Lyrics heard wrongly,
1: yeah. Um, but then David Letterman plays the recording, and he's oh, okay. what he's done. You hear Billy Jean, mm-hmm. you know, she says, "I am the one," but the, and then right at that point, there's a splice, and you hear oh. this big New York voice say, "Chair." It's <laughs> it's hilarious. So seek it out. I can't. Oh man.
0: It wasn't it? There's a lot of songs like that, though. There was that uh, Elton yeah. John song. What is it? Pull Me Closer, Tony Danza. Tony, Tony
2: yeah. Danza. <laughs> and
0: there was that George Benson song. Yeah. They say that Leon rides his bike on Broadway. Leon rides his bike on Broadway. Oh, boy, that's terrible. Yeah. I think there's a, a website
1: called Lyrics Heard Wrongly. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So some of them, I don't know. I didn't hear them like that, but I've certainly done my share of. Hearing course, words wrongly. My father was uh, great
0: at this. Yeah. He he would purposely change the lyrics yeah. to songs, you know. So if you remember some pop songs, um uh let's see, uh Betty Davis Eyes. There mm. was a singer Kim Carnes, I think. Mm. So he changed that to Charles Atlas Thighs. And <laughs> and then he had Charles uh, Atlas Thighs. There was um Ebony and Ivory. Yeah. That became Lebanese and Red Chinese. So- oh my god. <laughs> Yeah, I, I love things like ways, that, like yeah.
1: even using the wrong word. There, there's this is recently in the news where um, <laughs> one of our gaff-prone uh, political people, uh, Marjorie Taylor Green, um, she referred to the she wanted to say the Gestapo police, and she she uh, referred to them as the Gazpacho police, <laughs> and the press really just piled on her like they of always course. do. But is anybody not seeing the uh, comedy gold in that in yeah. that <laughs> era? I just love things like that, you know? There was a great one in the movie, Flamingo, big- Yeah, Bigly. <laughs> yeah. There was a good one in the movie, The Flamingo Kid, with Matt Dillon. This is how it all started for me, mm. where there's a big card game that happens at the end, and one guy starts freaking out, and he says, Oh, this guy knows all the cards before they're going to be before he sees what they are, he, he must be psychotic. <laughs> and he means psychic of yeah, course, yeah. but uh, just think I love things like that, yeah, you know? Like and that. so, I don't know when I hear them, I kind of, so maybe we're mispronouncing these names on purpose. Do you ever think of that? Ah, yeah, there you go. There you go. That's it. All right. That's the ticket.
2: <laughs>
1: <laughs> Speaking of names that we don't pronounce, actually, I think I've got this one though. Uh, I, we have a listener who, uh, well she was someone I work with really but she oh. listens to the podcast uh-huh. and um, she said that she was like amazed at all these like composers we have like she doesn't know who any of them are I th- I see that as a strength of the podcast I mean we do do Beethoven, Mozart and all this too but uh, I try to just cast a wide net and especially try to get a lot of contemporary composers in um, right now we're going to do a, an unknown composer in fact an unrecorded composer until now but this one's from the past Anton Edvard Prate. And yeah. This is really cool. What's really cool? His music. Oh yeah. 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 We're going to get into that.
0: This is uh, This is quite a discovery, discovery not only of the week. Is it an instrument that you don't hear all that often although we've done a a couple of things. Well,
1: I have a uh, an ear for the harp, so I kind of like to get harp recordings on there. There's going to be another one coming up in a few weeks probably.
0: Right. But yeah, not only that, but um this music is uh, for its period actually quite inventive and uh, impressive. So. Yeah,
1: it is. Um, it's it's um, Okay, Anton Edvard Prate, he's a uh, considered to be a Swedish harpist and composer, one of the great harpists of his era. He was uh, born in 1796, died in 1875, so that would make him a Romantic-era mm. composer. Um, and um, so we're going to hear three works by him, two solo harp works, and a grand concert for harp and orchestra. Yeah, you know, we don't hear the harp as a solo instrument often enough. It's kind of like the guitar in where it has its own repertoire right. and uh, a lot of its own composers. Although mm. a lot of the, the the great mainstream kind of composers wrote for the harp as well. Mm. Uh, Mozart did. Um, so we're going to hear some of his work. He's, I said Swedish. He wasn't born in Sweden. He was born in uh, Haida. Bohemia, which these days is um, Novibor in the Czech Republic, so mm. he would be kind of Czech um, or Bohemian. Um, he wound up in Sweden as a result of the Family Puppet Theater, uh, which they took to Denmark and Sweden when the Napoleonic Wars made life in Central Europe difficult. I like mm. that word. Diff- difficult oh, war made my life difficult. Uh, it didn't make your life a living hell, just difficult. Yeah, huh? it seems like an understatement. It but... really is an understatement. I don't know. We the more you study history, the more you you realize we're we're living in uh unprecedentedly peaceful times. Maybe yeah. ancient Rome had something like this. But mm. uh that's about it, I'd say. <laughs> Although I guess the Roman army was always fighting out on the frontier somewhere, but right. uh yeah, if you were in the middle of Rome somewhere, you weren't uh threatened for like hundreds and hundreds of years all right the artist on this um album the soloist is delphine constantine Resnik. on the harp she's french and french french players just they get all those great colors out of the instrument it's just fantastic Mm -hmm. she's got it she's really great and the nurkoping symphony orchestra uh conducted by Daniela muska this is on the beast label and it's an s-a-c-d which means it's a lovely DSD recording. And if you have the capability, it's five channel stereo. Lots of space. Spacious.
0: This is a really good recording.
1: And it's an excellent recording too, of the harp especially. Beautiful balance also between the harp and the orchestra.
0: The harp. Yeah, the balance is good, but the harp is extremely close mic'd. Yeah. um, uh, Which allows her to use extreme contrast and dynamics. So... And you can hear all the little details, even when she's playing very softly. Yeah, and
1: there is quite a range. Mm-hmm. So she plays loud. The harp doesn't really get very loud. Um, no, but it's big on this recording. Yeah, it's big. Yeah. And once you hit those bass notes, if you play them loud. They have a way of, um, you know, pinning the needles because they have like a yeah, they, a big resonance. They though. Get even a- though they're not loud. They get a lot of... They um, get an
0: after swell to them where they, wow, you know, get big. Uh, But it all sounds really good on this recording.
1: Yeah, beautiful. Um, We're going to have to credit the engineer on this. I Mm -hmm. should write them down, but I I have the booklet here. I'll check it out in a moment. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so anyway, um, Prate became popular in Sweden. Now, Sweden wasn't really one of the musical centers at the time. No. Um, So that's why, you know, composers would just get lost up there, I guess, and Mm -hmm. sort of... You know, they have their great careers, but they wouldn't be part of the whole mainstream. You had to be sort of like with today. You have to, if you're a jazz musician, you want to get famous. You want to be in New York or one yeah. of very few other places. Um, and these days, you wanted to be in Vienna. Vienna. yeah. Yeah, especially at this time. Later in Paris as well, but Vienna was always a big center. Right. So, because uh, that's where Mozart was and Beethoven was there as well. And Brahms. I mean, mm. for the whole 19th century, Vienna was a musical capital. And I've never been there. Can you believe it? Mm. Of all places for me not to have been. Yeah,
0: I've never been there either.
1: Yeah, yeah I'll have to go. Jeez, I mean, we're getting older. We gotta get down Gotta there. get there. Well, yeah. as soon
0: as we can travel again. Yeah. Maybe. That was, well, Vienna was on my list. I went to Prague. Budapest was next. Yeah. But that got cut short from Corona. So yeah. uh, I'd like to do Budapest and then Vienna. But
1: I've been to Germany, though, like Hamburg. But mm. then I kind of, yeah, never went to Austria. Mm. Anyway. When, I'm gonna have to get there. Absolutely, all my all my musical heroes live there. Not to mention certain intellectual ones as well. Right. I mean, it was a it's a big uh, cultural city, um, and it's also where the movie The Third Man takes place. <laughs> but that's beside the point. Okay, so he was offered the post as harpist in the orchestra of the Royal Opera, but he turned it down because he was aiming for something similar abroad, which never came to pass. And so he was stuck in Sweden for his whole life, kinda of like kinda of like me, really. <laughs> stuck in Japan. Uh I don't see myself going anywhere else now. Mm. Um I would have liked to, I guess, but uh I don't know. I'm working here and things are okay. I guess I'm not going anywhere else. Getting older, we'll have to see. Okay. Anyway, the the major work on this album is the Grand Concert in G Minor for Harp and Orchestra. It's very long, and it's forty two minutes.
0: Yeah, the first movement. And is the first movement forever, itself yeah.
1: goes on for over twenty minutes, sort of like one of the Brahms piano concerti. Um, and it's also a bit hard to follow, although although it's it's long. If I had heard it three or four times, I'd probably get the whole form down. Um, it's labeled Allegro con spirito, pretty standard for, you know, you, your first movement is a sonata form mm. as generally, um, an allegro. Now this is a gigantic, uh, sonata form. Um, it's not a sonata form in the way that say like a Mahler symphony would be where it's just this, all this space and everything just moves very slowly because all of the, um, cadences are being prolonged by all these like substitute chords and, you know, mm-hmm. like Wagner used to do, like building tension, building tension, building tension. And then you get some false cadence and the tension doesn't get resolved. That's not happening here. He's he's just coming up with new musical ideas to keep it going. So that's a pretty exciting um, uh, movement. Uh, it's got a very dramatic orchestral opening in the strings, followed by an answer in the winds. The string section plays more melodic material and we get a lyrical, highly melodic second theme in the exposition of the sonata form. Um, there's a big dramatic cadence. Ends the opening section. And we get a little uh, interesting. Wind introduction to the solo harp. Now they've they've done a lot of setup for this. So the solo harp really has to come in well. He's gotten like about three minutes of uh, material before him. Setting up the themes. It's a nice entrance on a block chord. Very full and loud. And uh, the first part of the melody is played without any accompaniment. He gets the solo or she in this case, is um, the, the the harpist, um, gets a solo all by herself. Um, the orchestra parts creep in little by little. I really like that effect. Mm-hmm. Um, Konstantin Resnik's tone is full and rich, and she's recorded up close, as Russ said. Um, this is a fantastic recording of the harp. Uh, must hear if you're a harp enthusiast. The quieter elements of her playing are well picked up, too. The second theme, played solo by the harp, is really gorgeous in this piece, and the backing figuration sensitively taken over the very clear melodic material. Now, the development section features long solo sections for the harp, um, who, after all, is who we want to hear, and all of the musical material is attractive enough to keep us listening. Um, I'm not sure how this music was developing. Uh, I'm not really entirely sure it was. It seemed like there were these, these new melodic sections uh, I couldn't really make it out okay but um, there's a cadenza that's even more rhetorical than anything else before the opening returns you can kind of tell because when I say rhetorical you're usually getting you know it, when someone's talking when they're kind of pondering something you, you'll hear like one note with a lot of pause and then maybe one two notes and then more it, it, it kind of sounds like someone speaking aloud as they're thinking it's got that quality to it so you hear that in the harp at the very end when we hear the second theme it sounds kind of uh funeral like (laughs) and he changes the whole profile of it and there's a funeral march rhythm before the solo harp plays it interesting uh Mm. development there i didn't hear this enough times to work out all the details of what's happening in this very long movement and um it's one of the uh other things about this podcast we we listen to these recordings we decide we're going to do the recording we listen to it once twice as many times as we can in a week and then we just start talking about it without really mm. getting to know it all that well it takes months really to get to know it, or sometimes years
0: yeah this one is so long and mm. uh orchestral build up to the heart exposition harp expositions are so long in themselves yeah it's really hard to remember and go back. Right. In some cases, what I liked about it, you know, the cadenza and there's ample space for the harp, and then in other sections where the harp is featured, but there's also orchestral backings. I really liked the intricate textures and the matching of instruments. Like there's one uh, section near the end of the this first movement where uh, the sort of counterline is on oboe. Oh, and yeah. Mm. That's just a real magical light accompaniment uh, that fits nicely, you know, in with the harp. You know, so this sort of timbre consciousness is also really well thought out. Right. uh, What's going to match with the harp when they're both together here. Um, And there are a lot of moments like that
1: in this movement. Like I mentioned, the wind introducing the harp at the beginning was another one. And there are others as well. Okay, so it's a dramatic movement, and, and it's gorgeous too. Um, it also goes on for a very long time, and there are a lot of false cadences right at the mm-hmm. end. Did you notice this? It's yeah. like there was like a chain of them. Like, uh, you know, oh my god, when's this going to end? It's yeah. already been twenty minutes long. It's I, you know. But it was it, fun. It was it, good. It,
0: it's sort of the style is conventional and sort of like a you know early romantic style, mm-hmm. almost classical in a way. However. It does have a lot of unexpected cadences right. and little harmonic tricks that are somewhat—I wouldn't say they're you know humorous in the way as C.P.E. Bach, but they're yeah, a little and, bit, and, and sort they're not
1: of, like they're pre-Wagnerian too, so they're not that kind of like building tension sort of thing. No, no, they're, they're more like teasing. Yeah, they're just little
0: yeah. nudges that yeah. make sure. Oh, you didn't think that was going to happen, kind right? Of like so a little um, Mozart maybe, yeah, maybe a little of that kind mo- of thing. Like Mozart, CPE but Bach very too. clever. And yeah. uh, it keeps, I mean, other than the wonderful feature of the harp and the nice orchestral writing, it's another extra little touch that that's added to just keep unexpected progressions going through it. So I yeah. find it really, I mean, the first time I l- listened to it, I was hooked right away. Yeah, I me this too. This is great. Like, Whoa. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, very attractive. That's only the first movement. There's still two more to come. Uh, the second movement, Romanza, is played andante arioso. And uh, it reminds me of the slow movement of a Mozart piano concerto. If you remember Piano Concerto Twenty One,
2: mm-hmm.
1: the one that was in the Elvira Madigan movie, bum, ba dum, that one. It mm-hmm. kind of has that sort of feel to it, not that melody, but um, the harp's entrance is muted, a lovely sound, quiet and introspective in this movement, and the harp gets a gently, a gentle solo cadenza towards the end uh the movement explodes without pause into the rondo and uh this is labeled polaka a alla svedeze so in the in the swedish it's a Polaka, which i guess would be a dance in the swedish style meaning in the way he wants it to be cuz he's right. he himself is swedish now um it has the feeling of a dance which is often the case with concerti you want to end mm-hmm. with a on a happy dance like um feeling it's in three four I guess it could be six eight but I'm can't, I got three the orchestra gives the opening material a more aggressive feeling when we hear it than when we hear it on the harp um, this more aggressive material evaporates into something lyrical in the same rhythm in the middle section and the opening material repeats um, in fact it's a ro though so it comes back a few times but again I on, on two listings, I wasn't able to follow them all there's a nice floaty coda at the end the heart material and the whole movement is very appealing and really throughout this work this is a real discovery it's a really fantastic work um give it a listen um we're gonna load this up you're gonna have a link to this so you can just kind of click on it and hear it i think it'll, you'll really enjoy it
0: yeah this is great actually this is so good that i i felt the other pieces being nice but there's sort of a letdown after this well they're work, not dramatic so, yeah they're- sort yeah. of
1: more pretty than dramatic so yeah.
0: I may have put this at the end of the program if I was designing it myself but
1: uh, oh I see yeah, yeah but you don't know you gotta you wanna it's funny because you want people to maintain interest you don't wanna make mm. them wait you know what I mean like they might not wait they might say ah oh. yeah I don't know anyway the next two works on the album are for solo harp and you know part of the reason that the program loses interest in drama is because the yeah, harp you know, the orchestra. really isn't a dramatic instrument. It's It tends to be pretty. This is kind of an issue with the harp, in fact. Uh, some people have tried to change its profile. We tend to think of it as being, you know, the instrument angels play because it's so sweet sounding and uh, it's hard to get away from that. Some composers have tried to, but...
0: Well, I felt on these, uh, the one thing that I, you know, you lose the dynamic contrasts and force of the orchestra, but this harp writing... You can tell it's by, you know, a master of the harp because the sort of approach and melodic direction and everything is not the standard harp that I'm used to. Right. So I heard a lot of things working through even these other works that sound sort of guitar-like to me yeah, yeah. Um, and not, you know, not the angelic type of thing, but other types of figurations uh, that normally I would associate with a guitar or something. And so, you know, sometimes I was not thinking I'm listening to harp, but it could be something else, uh, even, or piano or something. Just in the figuration, that sort of thing. Yeah.
1: Yeah, Okay, so the second work that we hear is theme and variations on a Swedish folk tune. And the Swedish folk tune is called Katten (laughs) och Kiligen for another mispronunciation, which means the cat and the kitten. (laughs) Um it's a nursery rhyme which was often sung to a variant of the famous La Folia tune that we hear in a lot of like mm. baroque works variations on that. Okay, it starts with the introduction played maestoso. Uh the theme is in a saraband melody so it's kind of slow and sort of um melting I guess you could call like it's got like kind of like a liquid sort of a uh, quality to the rhythm. Mm. The harp is even more upfront in this solo recording. Um gorgeous tone. The instruments were recorded there's a flourish at the beginning slow sarabande rhythm is the theme we go to variation one okay now this is interesting there's one they take one variation out of the uh, sequence i'll get, i'll talk about it when i get there uh the very first variation quieter than the theme with figuration providing relief for the melody to stand out in uh the theme is played with triplet accompaniment the second time Second variation has a quicker figuration supporting the melody, sounding like six eight time. Variation three is in four, four four. There's a melody in the treble that's commented on in the bass. Then we skip ahead to variation five. This is really strange. Variation four was removed and placed at the end, mm-hmm. and uh, I'm not entirely sure this was a good idea. I think it's the um, the artist's decision, um, but we'll get to that. So we hear variation five next. It's uh, a quasi labeled quasi hymn so like a like a church hymn and uh, before it there's a pause there would have been a pause at the end of variation 4 too because variation 4 ends the work um, there's a full stop here The this one starts mysteriously with a bass note followed by quietly sounded harmonics I love harmonics on the harp too I yeah. really like them in any instrument really mm. but they're really nice on the harp as you know well I like them on any instrument I don't know the melody is played on the harmonics nice effect here so it's got it i guess you could call it angelic yeah yeah variation six allegro con fuoco not a marking you associate with the harp really Mm. because it kind of sounds aggressive con fuoco with fire with passion yeah Yeah. all right um vast it's fast it's virtuosic relatively loud i guess as far as the harp goes and uh, has running scales and treble and bass accompanying the melody Variation 7, which is technically the last one in the composition, is adagio. It's quieter. It's got an Alberti bass. Uh, da-na-na-na, da na na That kind of repeating mm-hmm. sort of pattern or figure. Accompanying the melody, which rises and falls to its key notes. Now, I think this is supposed to be the end of the piece. Uh, it ends slowly. Maybe... Um, our soloist, um, Delphine, Constantine Resnick, didn't think that was exciting enough. So she stuck uh, variation number four at the end. And um, it's fast, relatively virtuosic, sort of like a Chopin arpeggio etude. If you think about um, the first etude in C minor in opus, Chopin's Opus 10, it's got mm-hmm. that kind of quality to it. Right. Um, it doesn't really, or more like the, the arpeggio sonata, Opus 20, the other C major in the... Uh, second set of etudes by Chopin. Hmm. It doesn't really provide a full satisfying cadential ending because it's not the end of the work, technically. Right. But at least it, adds, it ends on a more energetic note. I think that's what she was going for. I would have left this alone and had Variation 7 end it, but still great playing. Yeah. yeah, no problem there. Okay, and we end the um, recording with uh, the last piece, Souvenir de, de Norvège. Uh, Souvenir of Norway. I don't know how to say this. Sounds, <laughs> sounds from the mountains and valleys of Norway was another name that this piece went under. It's labeled as a fantasy romantique. And this work uses four Norwegian folk songs, which I've written the names to, but I'm not going to say them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they are in English. A little boy from uh to drive water and drive firewood. Last Year I Was a Goat, Hmm. and dreary Sunday Night. Oh. Okay. Those are the four um, English translated folk songs (laughs) in this work. All right. I'm sure our Norwegian listeners would love to laugh at my Norwegian pronunciation, but not today. All right. (laughs) All right. Starts with a very quiet figuration over which the first theme plays. Uh, The second theme starts at around 2 minutes and 55 seconds in, and features a melody with a dotted rhythm. This one starts a lot more folk-like style than the first one, and the theme is then subjected to an echo and a background accompaniment of fast triplets. And then there's another variation after this, and we get to theme three at about the 6 minute and 23 second mark. Uh, Oh, by the way, when I pick these times, I just kind of look at the, the clock when they start, so I'm not getting them exactly. I'm not right. rewinding and seeing exactly when they start so I'm assuming the listener can figure that out. Uh, the, the third theme is played chordally with a harmony included with each note. so they're kind of it's like a chord melody. Also a dotted rhythm, but the rhythm is jumpier than in the previous tune. This then gets a florid accompaniment in its first variation and the last theme is heard at about 9 minutes 45 seconds if you want to follow the four folk songs i've given you the times for them um this one is played quarterly and sounds completely different than um the other three really but than the previous one uh there's a variation on the higher end of the harp with the lower end accompanying uh the theme is when that happens by the way in the um, bass you get a lot of um what's what's the overtones mm-hmm. and so that you get a sense of the richness of the overtones of the harp from this particular variation because you're not hearing the middle of the harp being played in this but you you are hearing those overtones and the theme is played last in the mid-range moving down toward the base with accompanying figuration in the high end um i may have missed some variations in there but there's a big flourish and we're at the end a Lovely, Enjoyable Piece. And this is just a gorgeous album. A real discovery. This is one of those records that you want to, you know, it's it's just something new if you, in, that you haven't heard before, and it's really good, and it'll just make you happy, and uh, it's good to relax to as well if you choose to do that. Um, I hadn't heard... This is a great album of music I hadn't heard by a composer I hadn't heard of. And a harpist to keep an ear out for if she's always going to sound like this. This is a really great sounding recording all around too. I hope we'll hear more from her on recordings as richly engineered as this. If Russ is going to say anything, I'm going to look up the name of the engineer right here.
0: Yeah. I really enjoyed this more than I expected. I think this final piece is the one that seemed to have things that reminded me of more guitar-like writing uh, rather than the things we associate with uh, harp. But for me, the standout piece is the, the first one, the grand concert in G minor. Uh, I found that something. And I wrote down, you know, definitely come back and listen to this one again.
1: So, yeah, I'm going to have to yeah. hear this as well, like again mm-hmm. and again. And it's also an SACD, richly recorded and engineered by producer Matthew Bennett and sound engineer Dave Rowell. Uh, good work, good man. Good team, yeah. Good team. Nice Amazing. Songs. Gorgeous sound. Very mm-hmm. impressed. Please do my recording. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Last, we have some new music. Um, Always like to get some contemporary composers on this recording if we can. Now, this work is another uh, Beast label, also an SACD, the same as the Prate. And it's by United Strings of Europe with uh, Julian Azkul, the director. Um, We also get Ruby Hughes as a soprano on three tracks. And this is called Renewal. It's and a cool name, isn't it? Is it that? is a cool. It's got a beautiful yeah. album cover too of this tree, uh, coming out of the middle of this lake, and yeah. it's just this blue, yeah. uh, soothing co- album cover. I really like it a lot.
0: And the uh, conductor's name is cool. He's as cool, yeah. as cool, as cool, man.
1: As cool, as <laughs> cool. The the conductor. <laughs> it's uh, he's, he's he was made for music. Yeah. yeah, this guy. Okay. Anyway, this this recording. It's a, it's a string orchestra recording. Now, what that means is you are going to get a lot of transcriptions, which is exactly what we get here. Mm-hmm. A lot of times, uh, string quint- quartet works will be transcribed for string orchestra. And um, whenever that happens, I always want to hear the original work because I want to hear what the composer's intentions right. were. Um, it, we'll, uh, I'll get more into that in a minute. So this album is a collection of arrangements of works that deal with themes of loss and transformation. And the idea arose from the lockdowns of COVID-19. Although we are in Japan, we're never locked down. We changed due to COVID, too, because we are now doing a podcast, whereas we probably wouldn't have been had life gone on as usual. Um, So I thought it might be appropriate first podcast anniversary pick. um, Because we're, I don't know, we started this because of the COVID as well.
0: I I really like this. I'm always... um... Willing to hear new contemporary works, and I'm often disappointed in the musicality of some of them. I think yeah, for me, half know, and half. Yeah, it that's depends. what I feel yeah. like. You know, mm. but this one hits the mark with musicality and sort of um, lots of endearing melodic things to draw you in to the yeah. music. Uh, there's enough there, even on the first listening, to find appealing. Part of it's due to the gorgeous tone of this uh, string ensemble.
1: This is another richly recorded. We we mm-hmm. really scored big in classical on this week on mm-hmm. uh, sound engineering because yeah. all three of these recordings just sound yeah. fantastic. Uh, this one too. It's just it's got this rich upholstered sort of uh, uh, sound quality to it. Especially
0: when you're limited to one family. I mean, orchestral music is one of you know my favorite types of ensemble because of the rich colors of the orchestra. Right. And now here you're going to wipe away all of your brass and woodwinds. So you've got a limited palette. Um, what this reminded me of is uh, recording. We heard a, f- a few episodes ago, the Vaughn Williams uh, string orchestra uh, piece in that uh, if the, you know, composing is done exactly uh, to some, I don't know, uh, kind of uh Way of drawing out the full kind of colors of the strings that can be enough to satisfy you as well. And I felt right. that was uh, on this. Uh...
1: Okay. I luckily we're on this podcast and I can make a correction now. I just wanted to look up who the um, recorders, the um, engineer was on this one. And guess who it is? It's uh, producer Matthew Bennett, sound engineer Dave Rowell. All right. Because I looked at the wrong booklet before. Okay. So, on the Prate album, which we loved so much, um, want to give credit where credit's due. Uh, the producer is uh, Marion Schwabel, uh, take five music production. And the sound engineers are Ingo Petri, also take five music production, and Marion Schwabel for the solo works. So, she okay. did the uh, engineering for the uh, solo works, and he uh, was the sound engineer on the orchestra recording. Oh. Ingo Petri Or she. I'm not sure. Ingo. What kind of name Don't that, would know. Be, what that would be. But this is a, uh, looks like a lot of women involved in that one. Very nice. Good to see women hey. behind the uh, the yeah. mixing board there. It's beast a, beast ra- for Peace. It's a rare sight. Yeah. Beast for Peace? Yeah.
0: Okay. <laughs> Good sound.
1: Oh, I just scraped my headphone against the... Uh, <laughs> the pop, pop... The pop open. screen.
0: These are metal pop screens too. Yeah. So watch out. You can yeah. lacerate your...
1: It's All right. Them. Anyway, let's go through this. Speaking of uh now we have the the women engineers were on the other recording. This particular mm-hmm. one has two male engineers, but a lot of women composers on this one. Mm-hmm. Okay? So we have the first um track uh work by Joanna Marsh, British composer. This is arranged by Julian Azcool from a uh a choral work mm-hmm. and this is called In Winter's House, composed in 2019. Um, Marsh is a British composer who lives in Dubai. Oh. Uh, pretty interesting. I bet there's a lot of... Uh... Because she
0: missed winter. That's why she wrote this piece. Yeah, maybe.
1: Yeah. Or, you know, the thing is, there are composers... I think of... Um, there was an Italian composer, uh, Domeniconi Carlo Domeniconi, who lives in Turkey. Hmm. And he turned out all these works that had these fantastic, like, Turkish modes in them. And hmm. um, I suspect that she's... If she's living in Dubai, I bet a lot of her works are going to have a lot of those... Um, sort of Arab modes in, in them as well. Not in this one, though, no. I don't think. Um, it's originally a choral work. Um, as Cool's arrangement, the um, he's the conductor, um, expands the pitch range over the chordal voices for the strings, enhancing the sense of spaciousness of the original. And we really do get that. This really does sound like it has a very wide uh, dynamic range or just frequency range as well. Um, originally, I guess we should say this. It's a setting of a poem by Oxford based poet, Jane Draycott, but we're not hearing the uh, text here. Um, uh, inspiration mu- only. Yeah. Well, yeah, but it's been set as a choral work, so it wasn't just the inspiration. Yeah. She well, actually I mean, did in set this case, the words. We, <laughs> yeah. Unless you look at the yeah. words,
0: you're not going to know what they are.
1: Right. The music has the resonance of an old folk song and the poem conjures a fairy tale landscape uh using the imagin imaginary the imagery of darkness and light, renewal and rebirth. I'm getting this from the booklet, obviously. Okay. The melody may be folky, but harmonies add a bit of spice at points. This is me mm-hmm. talking now. Um string orchestras tend to have a nice bloom to them, and we get that richest richness on this SACD DSD recording. Um, spaciousness is the operative word here. I bet this would be even better if we could hear the sung words, but as an instrumental, it works well. There's a churchy quality to it at points and it ends very suddenly.
0: Yeah, that's what I highlighted too. The the lines actually move rather slowly in this piece so you can follow them. And as the different instrumental sort of uh, movement of the lines intersect, you read, that results in some interesting harmonies. I wouldn't call them terribly dissonant, but it's sort of a flow of tension and release that's satisfying. And the slow movement makes it, you know, in time that you can think about each one as it comes across. So I found myself kind of pulled into listening to those sort of tensions and uh, releases that would happen in that. And I thought it was overall, you know, very
1: pretty. Uh, yeah, so nice piece. Next work is by the American composer Caroline Shaw, and uh, this is a, it's called Entract. and it's actually the first um, uh, piece I've ever heard by her because it was recorded on uh, an album by the Ataka Quartet called um, Orange, which I highly recommend that listeners seek out. It, it came out a few years ago, and it's all works that she wrote for string quartet. And they're all really good, including this one. Uh, this version for string orchestra was arranged by Shaw herself in 2014. The original work was written in 2011, uh, originally written for string quartet. Um, Oh boy. It's structured like a classical minuet trio, but it takes the form a little further and it uses a variety of string ensemble effects, which is really what I like so much about, um, modern or contemporary string music because they they really just can't just have you bowing the strings. They got to do all Mm. these other things too. And they come up with these really enchanting sounds. Uh, Shaw is no different. Um, This actually sounds like a richer, thicker version of the original, yet it retains the intimacy of a chamber work. It's a really good arrangement. Perhaps that's due to the lightness of the scoring. Um, Different sections of the ensemble tend to take different sections of the work. It's very appealing and sincere um, the latter is a quality that always comes across in this composer's music. She sounds, ver- her music always sounds very sincere to me. It goes like straight to the heart. It's really nice, or straight to the ear, as it were. The business of the pizzicato sections, the business of the pizzicato sections are very enjoyable. The busyness. I wrote <laughs> my <laughs> text auto corrected to business. None of your busyness. Busyness. Yeah. It's very busy busyness of the pizzicato sections are very enjoyable in such a large ensemble because you hear all the strings plucking it's mm. it's kind of a cool like uh, kind of rich sort of sound the recording is very spacious and detailed you can hear very quiet rubbing on the strings of certain parts I like this version as well as the original um, by the way we did um, some of Caroline Shaw's music last year uh, released on the Nonesuch label and I was rather disappointed by them um, I didn't really like the works or the performances very much But um, what turned me on to her music was the uh, Ataka Quartet's album Orange, uh, which I highly recommend you hear. And this is just reinforcing that that I really, I really do like this composer, and I'm interested in what she's doing. Um, Just those last year, we had we heard this two recordings that didn't go over well with me, let's say. But this is fantastic. Give this a listen.
0: Yeah, I like this one. um, That she gives you sort of this um, central motif that triplet. to hold on to it gets you used to that Then it goes away, comes back again Um, after that sort of bode section, the the pizzicato section is really long Mm. and as you say the modern techniques used in that are interesting, Uh, it gets really rhythmically complex and there's another kind of plucking effect simulating like a reverb it's it's an actual mm, technique yeah, that sounds yeah. like the sound is echoing back, but it's not. It's actually you know, part of that plucking technique. It was a very modern kind of uh, right. thing that sounds really cool. Um, and then in the next section, there's a contrasting bowing techniques. There's like a, a long bowing with contrasted uh, choppier bowing over it. And, and right. so you get these layers of different things happening. Uh, And then there's that eerie kind of uh, falling pitch bowing. Yeah. 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 It's it's a little sort of disconcerting. You think, oh, what's going to happen? And then that triplet theme comes back and you feel, ah, at ease again. (laughs) So it's sort of like a little roller coaster of different moods and techniques. And, you know, I thought the arc of the composition is satisfying overall.
2: Yeah,
1: I want to mention Caroline Shaw is a, composer that I'm very interested in, and I will be keeping an ear out for future recordings of her music. Uh, I should have looked up the pronunciation of this guy's name. Osvaldo Goli, Golijov. I'm gonna say Golijov. I don't know. It's, it's, it's probably sp- Spanish. Uh, three songs for soprano and string orchestra. Um, the first track is called, uh, Night of the Flying Horses. Now these are, um, three songs that were written for different occasions. And then later on, he um, wrote these new orchestrations for them and uh, put mm-hmm. them together. So they were actually written at completely different times. Um, Ruby Hughes is the soprano on these three works. Um, Golijov is Argentinian or Golijov. I guess, I don't know. In Spanish, J is like an... Golijov? If, Golijov. Yeah, could be anything really. Well, it's one way, but I <laughs> just don't know what it is. He's Argentinian from a family that emigrated from Romania in the 1920s and now lives in the U.S. So he's been all over the place. Gets around. Yeah. Um, let's see. The United Strings of Europe, along with Ruby Hughes, The Soprano, adapted these um songs further after the composer arranged them with the composer's permission. Uh, the first work begins with a Yiddish lullaby called Close Your Eyes that Golihov wrote for Sally Potter's film The Man Who Cried, which I haven't seen. Uh, the story explores the fate of Jews and gypsies in the lead-up to World War II through the doomed uh, love of a young Jewish woman for a gypsy man. You know, that doesn't sound like uh, <laughs> it's going to end well. No. Um, the lullaby transforms to a doina, a, a slow, mournful gypsy genre, followed by a mad gallop that Golihov says he stole from his friends the gypsy band Taraf de Hajduks. Uh, here it sounds like a chase between the two violin sections who play in canon before merging toward the end. Uh, the opening of this is very soothing and calm, the lullaby, it's sung a cappella by Ruby Hughes, who who's has a very nice-sounding voice, very attractive. It sounds like a small array of strings accompanies the second verse and it gradually grows as the song goes on. The original poem in English is by Sally Potter. It was translated to Yiddish by Barry Davis, apparently for use in the movie. And uh, the lullaby ends with an ominous descending bass figure, which begins a sort of call and answer between the cello and violin. Mm -hmm. And this is a long, atmospheric, wordless section with Middle Eastern modal themes. Um, It ends with the rather harsh gallop it's kind of an odd piece because the singing ends a third of the way through yeah. and they have, still have two thirds of the piece to go and it's all instrumental and it sounds like it's almost like two more movements um the vocal and words don't even hint that the end is going to wind up here and it's a pretty disturbing in its manicness this ending
0: yeah i got the visual of sort of uh horses yeah galloping to take off you know hmm. like a a, a huge like uh, number of pegasus running to come off uh, that the the charging strings create that image so um
1: right yeah. it was really weird though after especially after the lullaby like all this other hmm. stuff happens boy all right the second of the three songs is called lua descolorida this is a song i heard uh, don upshaw sing uh on an album long ago it's really beautiful it's a poem by rosalia de castro and it's written in uh, galego or galician i guess you could say um the language of the galician region of spain Um, the song is an homage to Couperin's melismas in his lessons of Tenebre. so melisma again the uh vowel you know ornamenting a vowel by singing different tones on a single vowel and there is a lot of that in this work it doesn't sound baroque though it's very beautiful the poem is very sad it's about a woman who just wants to be totally forgotten and blotted out of memory um and uh, there's a lot of this kind of aching sadness to it. Um, the slow tempo, tempo and gently changing chords make the work very moving. As the singer sings to the moon that she wishes for an oblivion where she won't be remembered. The large string sections add details that aren't heard in the original, and it, which is for piano, I think. Mm. It's, it's voice and piano. I seem to recall and it enhances the work considerably. It's a beautiful melody all the way through. The voice is very clear and exposed in the recording, and the singer sustains the vocal part well. Um, This recording also has extremes of loud and quiet. Okay, and then we have um, the third song, How Slow the Wind, originally for soprano and string quartet, and it's a setting of two Emily Dickinson poems. It starts with repeated notes, bowed in the orchestra then there's a contrasting melodic section the text is also in english the voice seems to have more reverb or space surrounding it the two sections set the scene for the two contrasting poems and they alternate with each other as the two musical sections alternate Uh, hughes has a beautiful voice and sounds fantastic in this context Uh, the piece ends inconclusively just drifting into silence and that's those three works
0: yeah, interesting. Uh I like the sparse arrangement on this one particularly. Um yeah. and then uh she gets into really high register, uh which helps that vocal stand out. But there's some nice bowed uh bass work there and so you have this huge contrast of register between the bass and the high soprano voice. Um and uh, some interesting vocal uh, techniques at the very end of the tune that are different from the you know, the main um, exposition of the melody. So uh, something new coming at the end. Um, very interesting, yeah.
1: Yeah. Next we get probably the centerpiece of the recording, the mm. only work by a dead composer. Uh, Felix Mendelssohn, who I'm sure everybody has heard of, um, this is an arrangement of his last string quartet, the string quartet number six in F minor, opus 80, um, composed in 1847. Um, interestingly enough, this, um, particular string quartet has been in my head for quite a while now because, um, the Tococz Quartet recently recorded it for, um, uh, Hyperion Records. And we're going to be talking about that recording in a week or two. So, um, we're going to hear this work again in its original form. Um, that particular recording has a certain interest of its own um, that I'll talk about when we when we actually do feature it. Um, this is here on this album um, because it was written in response to the unexpected and tragic death of, a, of Felix Mendelssohn's beloved sister, the composer Fanny Mendelssohn. Now, she died of a stroke at the age of 42. Well, she had a stroke at 42, and she died of the complications resulting Mm. from it. Um, Now, if that's not weird enough that someone would die of a stroke at 42, um, Mendelssohn himself died a few months later of the same type of stroke at the age of 38. Wow. And both of their parents and a grandfather also died the same way. So there must be some kind of genetic thing going on here. Yep.
0: And the work is um, full of angst and agitation.
1: It certainly is. Actually, I said it was very Beethovenian. It sounds like he's really borrowing mm-hmm. like the a lot of uh, this, this feeling from Beethoven in order to get mm-hmm. his um, pa- some power across.
0: And you get the expanded yeah. dynamic range, because when you go from quartet to a string orchestra, now you're going to hit the double bass instead of the cello. Right. So you can... Bring out your subwoofer. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> to, to bring that out. Yeah,
1: yeah, um, yeah. So Mendelssohn's music generally isn't powerful. Really, isn't a word no, you'd use for it. But yeah. this piece. Uh, but this piece is, yeah. and I think he's he's kind of borrowing some of that angst from Beethoven because I hear a lot of Beethoven elements in this. Anyway, this work is in F minor, the same key as Beethoven's Um Serioso Quartet, Opus ninety five. Um, so, and that's probably intentional. Uh, it stands out in Mendelssohn's output like the Sediozo does in Beethoven's the, the Sediozo the Beethoven three quartet is very austere really it's mm. uh, it's kind of very very serious it doesn't really develop much it kind of mm. goes from section to section. And there's there's just no humor in it at all. And I suspect uh, Mendelssohn's thinking of that in this work. Um, Both works have a dark, foreboding quality. But Mendelssohn's work clings to the minor with no relief until the end. Uh, The first movement is tumultuous and unsettled um, in a Beethovenian way. The second theme is more lyrical and pleading. But most of this movement progresses in an urgent, stormy way. I don't think the ensemble takes one of the repeats, because this is three minutes shorter than the string quartet versions that's fair Hmm. game though the second movement is labeled allegro assai it's a scherzo but it's kind of like a what's called a totentance a dance of death um, with a processional and funereal trio in the middle the opening is rhythmic and aggressive with familiar mendelssohn melodic touches at the end of phrases as they taper off And the middle section has a ghostly floating quality to it in its 6-8 time. The sections all melt into each other appealingly. It has a brief coda that ends quietly, as if wiped out and going to bed after the Totentance. Totentance. I'm not even saying these right. I'm even trying to say these right. (laughs) Totentance. You know? So just what's the matter with just, you? Just put some beer in me and like, look what happens. You know, I'm just having, a, you know, I can't even be bothered. <laughs> you I don't know. He tints. <laughs> <laughs> he did a totem dance. Anyway, track three, uh, movement three, adagio, a tender and melancholic movement characterized by a sighing, almost vocal melody. There's a sense of nostalgia and longing with dotted rhythms akin to a heartbeat. That rhythm is just dun, 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 dun. Okay. Yeah.
0: Here you get a little relief from the hammering angst. Is it uh, gets into major a bit here and the, right. it gives a A flat major and you get a little. It actually ends on that major chord, so right. <sighs> yeah, a little breather from all of
1: the, yeah. You know, but that won't last long. Know. No, <laughs> <laughs> because the fourth movement, labeled Allegro molto. The torment resumes, yeah. as it says in the booklet. And they bring out their hammers for this one. Yeah. Boy. The ending of this quartet is one of the most virtuosic in the repertoire, and I'm sure it's the same is true for the string orchestra version. Um, it's a final attempt, this movement, to overcome grief, but catharsis and redemption are never achieved. Ooh. Stormy rushing figures return, again, finishing with Mendelssohnian melodic tales. The quartet works well in this string orchestra format. Uh, Forte is registered with richness, and the quiet parts are all highly intimate. There are some really harsh, for Mendelssohn anyway, shrieks out of the vibratoless v- huh, strings at some point. This movement often ro- roils like the more dramatic of the Beethoven piano sonatas. Thinking of the uh, Passionata's last movement, uh, the ending, though dramatic and written in sad, hysterical circumstances, really thrills. I thought, I thought it was thrilling. I didn't think hmm. it was like horrifying, you know. But that's how our contemporary 21st century ears going. I guess Yeah. we've certainly heard a lot harsher. The disc ends with another work by Caroline Shaw. This one's arranged by the conductor Julian Ascul, not as cool as you, but as cool. Okay, it's called "And the Swallow," and those are all lowercase letters. Uh, it's a choral setting of Psalm 84. It's an arrangement of that, so we're not hearing the words again, um, which is commonly read at the dedication of new churches. It has a lot of antiphonal textures textures in it and imitative effects always charming to hear especially in a string orchestra or in a, in a chorus as cool sought to enhance these qualities in this arrangement by redeploying the players so the cellos and basses are in the center and the violins and violas on either side kind of like expand out at the end the singers in the original evoke the pattering of autumn rain in a hushed murmuring and as cool says it's akin to the tremolo technique on bowed instruments, so he used that technique here to imitate that sound. Um, this comes across as a bit of a lament after hearing the Mendelssohn. It's just where it's placed in the program. Um, it's musically interesting enough to be enjoyable without the texts. It sounds almost like an Arvo Parrot string work in this arrangement. Um, the very end featuring the tremolo stands out from the rest. So all in all, I liked this recording a lot. I tend to always want to hear the originals, though. So when I was listening to this, I was like, oh, I have to go back and hear the original um, sort of um, compo- the composer's original idea in the original... Mm-hmm. Um, uh instrumentation uh it's got a rich upholstered sound from the united strings of europe very pleasing to the ear just feels good listening to this recording um it's excellent recording and there it is classical music for this week the first anniversary anything else
0: no i think you (laughs) summed it up on that one i enjoyed it um Great sounding recording, yeah, as we all said strings earlier. to me can sometimes not uh, be, you know, rich enough. But this was rich, uh, especially the lower register, you know, the bass comes through really nice. The strings are clear, but they're not harsh, uh, which is, I think, difficult to do uh, with mic placement and things. Right. It can get clear and harsh, or you can get sort of rich but dull. This gets... You know, both clear and rich, which, um,
1: you know. Those Beast uh, engineers really. They're really good. They have their stuff. Yeah. I wish. I wish. I'm going to put out a a request. I want Beast to re record all of the Vaughan Holmbow symphonies on SACD using some of these new engineers. I bet they'd be amazing. would be great. Yeah. yeah. I love those works.
0: Yeah. But uh, a nice classical program.
1: Yeah, it was good. I was. First year anniversary. Uh, it was a pleasing week of listening.
0: All right. That's going to take us over to the jazz side of things. Yeah. And well, I decided to stay with all new year releases, everything
1: here. Good is for you. I got two out. new year releases out of right. this. The Prate was from last uh, late last year.
0: There's so much I've had to cull my list. There's some things from the last quarter of uh, last year that we're just not going to get to because there's so much uh, interesting mm-hmm. stuff coming out uh, this month. So we've got a, a mix of things here, and uh, we're going to start out with um, just a fabulous pianist, uh, Bill O'Connell.
1: Yeah, this really amazed me. I he really I took to him right yeah. away.
0: Now all of his recordings are fabulous. Um, Bill O'Connell uh, originally studied at Oberlin Conservatory. Uh, he's been mostly based in uh, New York City. and I think now. Uh, he teaches at uh, Mason Gross School of the Arts. It's, um, Where's that Part in? of Rutgers uh, in New Jersey. Jersey. Yeah, in New Brunswick. Uh, but going way back uh, earlier in his career, uh, he made a name for himself with Chet Baker and Sonny Rollins. Uh, and in the 80s, um, he uh, worked a lot with Dave Valentin and uh, got heavily into Latin music. Uh, so a lot of his recordings are uh, Latin jazz uh 2018, I think, Uh, Jazz Latin is... This is fabulous. We're going to listen to this one later. I have yet to hear that one. Yeah, we're going to listen to this later. Uh, A number of other great jazz recordings, uh, Latin jazz recordings. He's got a great solo performance recording, just him. uh, Also a duo recording with uh, Steve Slagle that's really nice, just sax and piano. He's a real uh, genius of... uh, Piano jazz, yeah. Steve
1: Slagle, who also has a new album yeah, coming out, right? That's
0: we're going to get that on a podcast soon, too. Okay, anyway, this is his new one. A change is going to come on the Savant label, uh, which features him mainly on piano, but he does sneak in a little Fender Rhodes, yeah. uh, underneath sometimes, which is interesting. Uh, we've got uh, Craig Handy on tenor and soprano saxophone, who uh, I saw one time, uh, with. Uh, new composer's octet in Osaka uh, and he's collaborated a lot with uh, a fabulous bass player uh, Lincoln Goins hmm. uh, here both on acoustic and electric bass his uh, electric bass work uh, fretless electric bass is just awesome <laughs> uh, and we've got uh, Steve Jordan on drums and Pedrito Martinez on percussion uh, start out with a Coltrane tune uh, moments notice uh, but not like you've heard it before now this yeah, one comes that's the case with most of the yeah, covers on this this album. the album yeah <laughs> uh start start and end with uh interesting versions we get a heavy drum intro uh into some piano chords here uh comes over a heavy bass line by goins and then things lighten up and swing more for the melody uh with Goins kind of bass bouncing along. He always sets the rhythmic groove uh, just as much or more than the drummers when he's playing. Uh, They switch back and forth between the heavier, rocky rhythm and a more swinging feel throughout the tune, uh, which is interesting. If you know Coltrane's music, uh, this sort of uh, become a... A jazz standard in a way um O'Connell surfs the changes in rhythm uh through his solo uh He seems to have endless connected ideas uh he, he can solo on and on, never yeah and out of things you know
1: I um, noticed that about him too. There was another we talked about that with uh David kikoski yeah. too, like just people who just have yeah ideas just that never yeah. stop it's really amazing he's yeah. one of these pianists yeah he's one of those. Yeah.
0: Uh, he's got all kinds of uh, runs, rhythmic figures, and he's a pianist too, where his left hand is doing just as interesting things uh, with, you know, the chords he chooses and the rhythms. Uh, Goines gets a bass solo here, gets into the upper register, uh, rapid repeated notes, um, and then uh, Jordan is laying down some light but funky snare work underneath. Uh, then O'Connell then trades off eight-bar phrases uh, with Jordan for some drumbeat fun. They come back to the melody uh, and yet some more creative ideas from O'Connell. So the rhythmic variety uh, changing up the that uh, beats, uh, makes this a really fresh and exciting version of this uh, classic Coltrane tune.
1: I also um thought the bass was really funky and like street yeah. smart on this album. And uh, yeah. then, then we even got a, there was a bass solo on it too. I was like, oh, yeah. this is going to be so cool. And yeah. it was, it was really great.
0: Gwynn's Gr- bass work is awesome. Yeah. yeah. Uh, then we're going to get uh, some O'Connell Originals here. Two, Locomotive. Uh, this is a chugging three beat bass line. Setting the groove at the beginning, O'Connell lays down some chords to match it, and he tops it off with some bluesy phrases and trills. Pushes on with some drum breaks, a solo break for O'Connell. Jordan keeps a light subdivided beat on the drum kit behind it. Uh, O'Connell's solo is really funky and fun on this tune, Uh, and he gives again a lot to listen to with his rhythmic left hand at the same time as he's, you know. Putting out all these melodic flavors and runs uh, with his right hand, and uh, interesting rhythmic figures there too. Uh, they vamp out on the bass and, and uh, chords while Jordan gets some solo time on the drums, uh, and especially featuring the toms. Uh, they repeat the melody again. The groove is heavy and infectious.
1: Um, three, I like for... that rhythm. Yeah, it's, it's really, really kind good. of memorable.
0: Uh, three is a song for our times the covid blues <laughs> oh man
1: <laughs> well how much of this do i have to hear yeah. well, the song the piece itself is really yeah. good but yeah. covid blues oh boy we're gonna be still be hearing this 50 years yeah. from now though i, I don't know. know probably
0: not from uh, the title
1: i don't
0: know uh craig handy joins in on soprano sax for this original blues with some interesting uh, harmonic diversions o'connell's up first for a solo it's intense one bluesy licks runs crashing chords uh, Jordan smacks out on the hits uh, in support of the hot spots in O'Connell's solo. Handy's up next. You get some wailing into the upper register, bluesy licks, and fun in and around the chords. Uh, mm-hmm. This is a, one of those blues with altered chords that you can uh, right. sort of snake out on. Uh, piano and sax trade fours with the drums, uh, and they come back for the bluesy head. That's
1: because it's the COVID blues. The
0: COVID blues,
1: yeah. It's not any ordinary blues. Nope. Yeah. Snaking out. Snaking out.
0: <laughs> Get your mRNA
1: <laughs> injection, injection, right? Yeah. Injection this is a better word, really.
0: Four is mm-hmm. uh, in contrast to those blues. Uh, something to look forward to. The old Sam Cook hit, A Change Is Gonna Come. And uh, here we've got handy on tenor. Slow, slinky melody intro. Uh, then O'Connell plays it out uh, with ringing notes and a great touch for the pretty melody. Uh, adds deep ringing bass notes and tasty fills in between O'Connell's gaps. Uh, Handy's back for a solo featuring slow, passionate lines and some reedy flutter uh, into the work there. Uh, O'Connell comes back in with more brilliant piano runs and chiming notes, then back to Handy. So they're trading off uh, with um, sections here who finds a great shouting sax yelp Hmm. uh, to repeat It's just one of those, uh, he finds this figure, and it's too good to just play once um, for expression. And then he carries the tune to the end.
1: Yeah, this one is, you usually think of the Sam Cooke version of this song as right. being this real kind of like passionate, soulful mm-hmm. sub tune. But they don't do the soul here. They do it kind of in yeah, a laid back way. It's, it's kind subtle. of interesting. Yeah. It's more subtle. And like we said at the beginning, every he's going to always take these um, uh, familiar tunes in an unexpected direction. Brent. As is the case here.
0: Next, uh, original tune, a dedication, Sun for Sunny. uh, That's with a U in both words, Sun for Sunny. But this is for, with an O, Sonny Rollins, uh, Hmm. a la his uh, famous Calypso tune, St. Thomas. Hmm. uh, And it's kind of, um, how can I say, the introduction and uh, the tune are actually. different so the the intro is a bit gospel hmm. and so you think we're going in that direction and then it switches off and you're off for your calypso ride um and handy takes the melody on soprano uh then he passes it off to o'connell uh goins is really ripping lines on a fretless electric bass here uh jordan keeps a busy beat on the drums and uh, martinez comes in on percussion here uh adding to the um sort of um caribbean feel hmm. handy gets the first fiery solo then o'connell it sounds like they all had like dub- double espressos before they played this dude because it's really fired up yeah uh goins gets a crazy bass solo uh on this <laughs> one and then uh, o'connell comes back opens it up for some percussion spots everyone has a lot of fun
1: yeah yeah i also like the uh the uh old-timey rhythm that opens the piece and it suddenly changes as soon as yeah. the uh alto sax comes in that yeah. does a nice touch yeah,
0: i liked it um a little uh, also unexpected diversion yeah 6 another original enough is enough um, we get a slow drum and bass intro in 6-8 time I think uh, O'Connell adds chords and runs before Handy comes in on tenor with a melody it's got a minor modal bluesy feel that allows for a lot of harmonic exploration uh, O'Connell gets uh, to exploring those harmonies in his solo Handy works in some trills and squawks in his forceful mm-hmm. playing
1: Squawks, right?
0: Yeah. O'Connell's yeah. back for more and really hammers it out uh, before letting Handy blow again. And uh, he airs out his uh, Coltrane laundry sheets in this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, for that. Um, then there's well, a cool... Well put. <laughs> yeah. Three beats to each uh, slow piano chord passage uh, that Jordan gets to jam out to uh, with contrasting rapid stick work before they repeat the theme. Uh, so get you a little kind of... Um, modally feel fix on this one. Uh, Seven is called Sweet Peanut, another original tune. This is a samba kind of feel, real drive from Goins uh, pushing the electric bass. The drums and scratchy percussion fill out the Latin rhythm. And O'Connell dances through the melody. Sounds really inspired in his solo lines on this while he churns up the groove with his left hand. He also adds in some Rhodes electric piano for a different tone and getting more sustained uh, with the left hand. It's not low. It's sort of in the middle range under what he's doing with his right hand. Uh, it's, it's a little bit uh, hidden in the mix there. Right. Uh, he seems to have endless ideas again here, uh, finally passing it off to Goins for another bass solo. Uh, the attack of Goines's notes in this one really stand out. It's uh, super clear uh articulation on the bass. And then the ending has alternating chords and answering bass lines that bring it to a close. Hmm. Uh, Track 8, another O'Connell original, A Prayer for Us. Uh, This is a slow, gospel-y ballad. Uh, O'Connell's piano sounds really fabulous. Uh, Really wonderful piano sound here. He treats the melody wonderfully, uh, gives it over to Goines, this time for a melodic and pretty acoustic bass solo. O'Connell's solo on this one is uh, just a pure delight. He starts more delicately, but digs in. Uh, Jordan and Goine's answer what he's doing by giving it more of a driving slow swing. Uh, then it settles down rather suddenly to a quiet place again, and they ease it out with a calm, gospely y ending. Uh, just a very pretty piece. Track nine is called Chaos. Chaos. Uh, A busy drum beat and some sporadic piano tones start this one out uh, before some bass patterns develop. Handy joins in on soprano. Initially, the big beats and bass seem to be in like a 5-4 kind of uh, uh, feel, but mid-melody, it switches up to swinging 4-4. That could be the chaos of the uh, title idea. Goins is on electric bass. He sets a heavy groove and then a walking swing uh, throughout the 4-4 four, four parts. Uh, the rhythmic changeup continues through the solo, so it gives the players uh, this kind of contrast to work with. O'Connell is up first to navigate the two rhythmic worlds. And Handy sails over it skillfully as well, uh, and winds his way uh, melodically through the chords. And then they work uh, the melody once more before uh, getting to the ending. Uh, so a rhythmically inventive uh, and challenging piece. And we end up with uh, the old standard, My Foolish Heart, uh, who Bill Evans was fond of playing. But you've never heard it like this.
1: Oh, because no, you have not. it
0: starts out with a huge backbeat. Uh, <laughs> so you got a, a nice rocky uh, backbeat on this by Jordan. Um, O'Connell and Goins segment out the melody so that there's a phrase and then it just drops out, which leaves the drums to fill in for the backbeat uh, rhythm in there. It sounds really cool. O'Connell's solo is, uh, matchingly rhythmic and funky, uh, Goyne's laying down thick melodic electric bass underneath. Uh, he solos on straight through the tune McConnell or O'Connell rather, uh, with loads of ideas. Again, he just hammers through the melody right through, uh, the whole thing. Uh, and there's cool, uh, drum gaps again, uh, when they get back to the melody. So this is a great recording, uh, shows O'Connell's piano skills, great taste, cool compositions, Lots of variety. The musicianship is fabulous. And the overall mood, um, despite COVID blues. Even COVID blues is kind of upbeat, too. Yeah, it's all upbeat. um, Puts you in a good mood. Great playing. And uh, O'Connell's a masterful player. Be sure to check out this one and his other uh, recordings. Jazz Latin, his solo recording, uh, older things. Uh, It's fabulous piano playing.
1: Yeah, I'm going to have to look back and listen to some of those older recordings you've been telling me about them because I was impressed by this too, just the the sheer number of ideas that comes out. I'm probably going to have to pick this one up. This would be the first jazz recording this year that I've picked up, actually. Yeah, this is a good one to have. It's a good one to have. And some of the older ones too, I think. Yeah. Very positive. Even the the blues and the gospel numbers, they really are uplifting Mm -hmm. too, which is the way uh, gospel especially should be. Um, And also, Connell's name is, uh, unlike my picks this week, uh, easy to pronounce. Yeah. I was very O'Connell. happy about that. O'Connell, yeah. I think I grew up with someone named O'Connell. Probably, yeah, yeah. It's a lot of Irish. They didn't play names the piano. Yeah. yeah.
2: Oh well.
0: <laughs> okay. Uh, up next, uh, album that uh, well, like all Blue Note releases, gets a lot of pre-press, and you never know when it's going to actually be out. Yeah. Uh, Blue Note likes to tease uh, and things, um,
1: but. Um, it's, it's pl- like don, one of the was guys is who's who is it donald was was donald was yeah don was yeah, yeah that was it yeah the owner god who who came up with this plan i don't like yeah. it yeah um you know I some things like
0: just come out some things you don't know they're out and blue note you'll know you'll know you'll be waiting for a long time yeah
1: they're trying to build up um, it, i guess uh anticipation but i don't yeah. know i'd rather not just hear the record
0: so this is a uh up-and-coming player who's gotten a lot of attention, uh, so I figured I'd check it out. I've heard his playing on uh, some other uh, recordings. Emmanuel Wilkins, uh, as I
1: said, on the Blue Note label, the seventh hand. Yeah, this is a lot of people's um, jazz pick of the week, actually, I've noticed. Yeah.
0: So this is his uh, second album after 2020's Omega. Uh, he's an alto saxophonist and composer. Uh, he's from Pennsylvania, uh, around the Philadelphia area. Uh, he came to New York uh, to attend Juilliard. Uh, that's where he met uh, the trumpeter, who also gets a lot of attention, Ambrose Akimusire. Akimusire. Yeah. Um And uh, he helped Wilkins uh, get into the jazz scene there, and who would also meet uh, Jason Moran, a pianist uh, who took him uh, out on tour. And that was his uh, biggest gig to date at that time. And uh, from there, he's uh, also worked with a range of artists, uh, including Wynton Marsalis, Gerald Clayton, uh, Aaron Parks, and others. And so here he is on this album, which is a concept album. Seventh Hand, what does it mean? Uh, This is from his notes. Uh, The album consists of an hour-long suite. Uh Uh-oh, there's that word. There's that word Uh that... Uh Puts us on our guard. Comprised of seven movements that strive to bring the quartet closer to complete vesselhood Hmm. by the end, where the music would be entirely improvised, channeled collectively. From where? Well, continuing. The title is derived from a question steeped in biblical symbolism. Hmm. If the number six represents the extent of human possibility, so number six is... Man in the Gospels, right? right. Hence, six, 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 man becoming God. Right? Oh, okay. Um, anyway, the seventh hand. Wilkins wondered how it would sound to invoke divine intervention, and allow the seventh element to possess his quartet.
1: And, he, he certainly did that, <laughs>
0: and this is his direct quote. Uh, these other quotes from the album notes. Uh, uh, it's the idea of not album notes but uh, release notes it's the idea of being a conduit for the music as a higher power that actually influences what we're playing uh so turning over the inspiration uh to god, god. to play okay. you um you know i've i've often heard um you know this idea in music uh yeah. so what is it is it emerson um music heard so deeply that, uh, I don't know. I'm going to screw the quote up. But uh, okay, you what? become the music while well, the music lasts, I think. Okay. I've heard other musicians like Tom Harrell say, you know, and anyone who's played music when you're... Uh, deep in that moment. Right. That
1: you feel like the music is playing you. Right. I understand you stand, what he means. I've you know, been, we've yeah. had this, I think sure. everybody's had this sort of experience at sure. least fleetingly in their lives. So that's what we're aiming towards and uh, the it's last... Like, it's like when sports, when athletes are in the zone, the they zone. say in the
0: zone. That's it. yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So that's where the album is aiming and the final track is uh, sort of the... We, we just decided to that. be in the zone in the final yeah. track. I don't know. So... Uh, Emmanuel Wilkins, alto saxophone, Micah Thomas on piano, Daryl Jones bass, Kweku Samburi on drums. And then we've got the uh, Farafina Khan Percussion Ensemble on uh, one or two tracks here. These names are, I don't know, I'm going to probably butcher them. Agye Keta Edwards, Yao Akoto, Jamal Dickerson, Adrian Somerville, uh, all on um, African percussion. And also on one track, we've got Michael Thomas on Mellotron. And uh, Flute added to two tunes, I think, here. Elena Pinderhughes.
1: I like her a lot. Yeah. 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 And she's good on this album as well. She's always good, really. Right. So
0: start out with the track, Emanation. This begins with some skittering high alto melody over busy drumming. Wilkins breaks into his solo immediately out of the melody. He has a bubbling kind of sound here, which makes his ideas seem to float out, uh, just sort of erupting. Uh, He gets intense connected lines, later digging into the lower register for a while. Thomas really hammers out the chords underneath. Uh, It's kind of unhinged piano going on on this tune. Wilkins ends with a, tag of the melody and then repeats a riff for a while uh, while Thomas gets his solo going it's a very modern harmonic explosion of sounds breaking from the rhythm of his chords and the sort of amorphous drumming underneath uh, there's more of a swing groove that emerges now and then uh, with John's walking a tight bass to Sunbury's, uh cymbals they bring them back to the melody uh, which flows right into the next track hence the sweet nature which is called Don't Break. This features African percussion under the spaced out riff lines of the sax melody, has kind of a three-beat feel to it. Wilkins riffs some more up high over the drumming and adds piano. Uh, The piano adds an answer line to that. Everyone else drops out to feature the percussion uh, and then the percussion alone carries on to the end of the tune. Track three is Fugitive Ritual Selah This is a nice contrast to the previous pieces. It's a rich uh, solo bass with uh, an almost vocal quality opening over pretty light piano chords. Wilkins brings in the rubato melody supported on piano with a rich alto tone in the lower register. Uh, The drums have light brushing, just enough to push the relaxed waltzing beat that forms, and then gets to sticks a little later. Uh, for some more fills as more intensity is needed. There's a lot of space between the phrases, which Thomas fills in sparingly with light chords and figures. It's mostly a composed piece. There's not much improvisation going on here, but it's pretty and uh, it's just you know enough the way it is because the spatial quality is important to it. Track four is Shadow. It's a line set against the sax and piano melody. That gets this off to a medium slow four beat feel. The melody has slinking and sliding downward lines to it. Uh, Wilkins weaves his solo around the pattern, often incorporating the lines from that melody. And Thomas adds improvised figures as well. Uh, Johns add melodic bass fills when the melody comes
1: back. This is like as repetitive as a pop tune. This one, yeah. you know, yeah, that theme, that theme, keeps, that theme
0: you comes keep back. hearing it. Yeah. yeah. Uh, track five is called uh, Witness. Uh, here we get some Mellotron and we get uh, Peter Hughes's Flute added in. Uh, it's an even piano chord progression that gives an intro to build on the uh, alto and flute that come in uh, with the Mellotron and piano filling and that sound. Uh, the bass also moves in step on the progression, so everything is moving together. Uh, throughout this whole tune. And the drums are faint with not much to do here. Pinder Hughes has some pretty flurries and exchanges with Wilkins yeah. on the flute here. And the static rhythmic motion lets you focus on the tones and it creates a unique mood on the, this album. Uh, the bass drops out near the end and it continues on to a pleasing final cadence.
1: I really want to hear Elena Pinderhus like as a on her own so a solo album like as a band to hear her leader. Yeah. Cuz I think she's so, always so good when when I hear her on other people's records. I would just like to hear her, you know, yeah. What she would do. I bet it'd be interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, track 6 Lighthouse. Uh is here on flute as well. Uh, starts with a sequence of repeated piano chords. Uh, Busy drumming develops, with Wilkins soaring on improvised lines uh, against longer flute tones. Uh, so there's a contrast in the winds here. Wilkins continues blowing up a storm over drums and bass as the piano drops out for a while. Piano and flute join back in before Wilkins finishes up his solo. They return to the melody together, while Sumbrey gets in lots of blazing stick work underneath. Uh, Wilkins takes a breather for a bit. Where well, the piano continues, then joins back in as sombri, uh creates great washes of cymbal sounds. They reach a kind of Satori, enlightenment <laughs> moment, where the rhythm dissolves into a huge harmonic wash, yeah. and the flute blows out cries of enlightenment.
1: <laughs> uh, Is that what it says in the notes? No. Uh, these that's are, what you yeah, came up that's with. That's my oh, wow. description, yeah. That's
0: impressive. I had my little awakening at that point. You missed your calling. You could have yeah. written the uh, booklet notes for these yeah. things. yeah. Ram Das and Russ <laughs> uh, and that last sort of flow swells into the next
1: tune yeah, yes it does and it, I don't think this can be rightly called a tune
0: yeah um, I don't know marathon uh, and obstacle course yes
1: it depends I didn't I didn't dislike this really no. but it was uh, okay it was quite a
2: challenge so this say. is
0: where the hand of the Lord will come in and uh, this tune called Lift, which clocks in at 26
1: minutes and 22 seconds. Yeah, I think that's longer than the rest of the album yeah. combined. <laughs> um, it might be. Yeah. I didn't actually do the math, but... Yeah.
0: Uh, so hmm. um, here, you know, this is basically free jazz, and, yeah. uh, which is nothing new. It's been around since the 60s. Yeah. And I want to say, I've
1: heard harsher, Yeah, yeah. certainly. Um,
0: okay, You know, so what... What's going on here, this may be difficult for some listeners uh, if you've never listened to something from Free Jazz before.
1: I do want to say it's quite a surprise coming after what we've just heard. It's a right. complete style change, you yeah. know, and that was really what was so odd about it to me. So, you know?
0: And you never know in these um, situations uh, how much has been predecided decided earlier. Uh, when you say jazz is free, you know, you're giving up, uh, some conventions of music. Um, yeah. Harmonic ideas, structure, form, right. beat. And basically... The, Har- harmony. <laughs> yeah. The musicians are listening to each other and improvising everything.
1: Yeah.
0: you know, Of course, jazz is based on improvised solos to a musical structure. And there are other things that can be changed along the way. The harmonies can be adapted. The rhythm... Uh, anything can change but there's always a starting structure With something like this you don't know right. uh, how much uh, they're just freely playing um, so what you're listening to is a something that's being you know birthed organically hmm. uh, from the communications of the players and in this case um, the inspirational idea is they'll be channeling music from the creator
1: well what happens here?
0: Uh, it this is really hard to describe. So I'm it, not. Gonna... It
1: turns out that the creation is kind of a messy business, and it yeah. sort of is if you've ever done creative yeah. work yourself. Sure. It's really true. Um, yeah.
0: I'm not going to describe in great detail because it's too difficult to do. Yeah, because it's but, all. Um, it starts out mm. with kind of chaotic sax lines and piano dissonance emerges. Uh, the bass and drums add. To the new forming world of sound that's coming here. Uh, Wilkins growls out phrases and strangulations over piano runs and clusters of tones. At around four minutes, a beat emerges in alternating bass tones. Uh, so, He's getting these interval things. Just before five minutes, Wilkins has completely strangled the goose in the yeah. yard. So, he does a lot yeah. of
1: honking in yeah. this piece. In this he takes a track. breather. Yeah.
0: Uh, so Thomas comes up for some free form piano. Uh, Wilkins comes back about seven minutes or so uh, with some kind of subsonic tones on the alto. It's getting down into like a false register on it. Um, more themes uh, and woodwind assault occur after that. Uh, around 19 minutes, there's a new quiet theme that's born out of the bass. And near the end, uh, Wilkins uh, works into some more high-register shrieks. And things finally end up with uh, bassed overtones and the dust settles.
1: Uh,
0: so that's a little synopsis. That's, a, of, that's 26 minutes yeah. in... Uh, yeah, there's a lot more going on yeah, in there, between a that. Lot, yeah. It's hard to describe. If you're up you know, for...
1: It's really... Yeah, it's very episodic. It's sort of like you you as a listener have to be in the moment and sort mm-hmm. of just um, not trying to figure anything out, but just kind of let the the music kind of flow past you like it's haiku. Yeah. You just kind of registers and it's gone. Yeah. Um, except that a lot of it goes on for quite a long time, so you have a lot of time to mm-hmm. sort of absorb it. Um, there are section changes so you know they sure. seem to have agreed on cert- that certain things are going to happen that are going to change the direction yeah. um, there's one bit where the uh, the piano changes the rhythm but he may have just done that spontaneously we don't really know so, yeah, when you but listen- there is one part where they all suddenly become silent and I doubt that happened on its own
0: when you listen to something like this don't necessarily look, look for patterns or identifiable yeah. things look for interactions of yeah. how what one player plays leads to some Sort of right.
1: uh, how the other players pick up on reaction it or change it or and
0: whatever. what develop what it develops into right. rather than you know something like that. Um, don't listen to this. Uh, if you have a spouse who mainly likes pop music, or <laughs> yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, um, that's all I can say. Um, yeah,
1: if you're uh, yeah, if you're if you're really uh, if you're separating from your spouse. <laughs> And you want them out of the house uh this would be a good way to achieve that, <laughs> yeah. depending on what kind of musical year they have but overall you know yeah
0: interesting uh release from wilkins he's uh you know trying he's incorporating a lot of interesting elements in here with the African percussion uh mm-hmm. working up to some free form jazz uh I like the contrast in he's he's not only doing. Um Very rhythmic things he also has some tender lyrical sort of material that he 's working with um yeah uh, i thought it's a adventurous uh release i'll be interested to see what comes next from yeah it.
1: the whole album was pretty sonically interesting as yeah. well there it was there was a lot of variety and it it was all rather unique. I could see this is probably why like mm. musicians like this get on the the blue note label and get so much press because they're He's not breaking new ground, but he's doing something very different. Let's say, yeah, Um,
0: yeah, he's um, incorporating enough um, new and different things into uh, to be very inventive. I think, yeah, inventive
1: recording. That's good. A little bit of a challenge to listen to, too. Yeah,
0: Blue Note wants to have some artists that are pushing into new ground, and I think this this recording does that.
1: I thought that was the uh, Impulse label that wanted all those guys. Yeah, I think that's what they past. formed yeah.
0: for. I don't yeah, Blue Note, you never know. I mean, they've kind of stretched outside of jazz, too. Right, but I, I like right. to see them bringing in some you know, younger artists who are trying new things. So. Right. Okay. Now, this next one almost mm. slipped under my radar, but I'm glad I got it in here. This is a nice contrast to the other pieces tonight. And uh, this is on the sunny Side label, which gets a lot of nice jazz releases. But this one didn't get much press. I just saw it on the list. Uh, perhaps I because I didn't know the um leader, Guy Du And his new release called Baden. And uh Du is uh, a French born Brazilian musician.
1: Oh wow. And I just uh, got the French part. I yeah, I know he's a Brazilian. Yeah.
0: So um and Baden refers to uh, the dedication of this album and sort of what it's centered around, which is the Brazilian guitarist and composer, Baden Powell, uh, who is very influential, uh, composer and artist, uh, for, to musicians and listeners alike, and especially his ability that, uh, combined, uh, elements of jazz, classical and Brazilian, uh, folk music into his own kind of almost his own genre, uh, using a nylon string acoustic guitar, and um, he's uh, loved around the world. So as I said, uh, Duvignol was born in France, but raised in Brazil, and uh, now he's known as a bassist and composer, but uh, he was uh, drawn to the music of Powell through his uh, Brazilian guitarist friends, who were all influenced by his unique way of playing. And uh, Duvignol also studied guitar, and, he was constantly uh, told about the techniques that Powell used. And so that went to uh, his interest in his repertoire and to take on a project to explore the music. And so here we've got uh, some of Powell's kind of signature pieces, uh, but also some of Duvignot's original works uh, sort of inspired by his music. Uh, And what made me pick this up is uh, the cast here we have got the great uh billy drews on saxophones and a little bit of clarinet uh, i wish there was more but uh we'll talk about that as we go along uh on keyboards lawrence fields mainly on piano but he's got a wurlitzer electric piano in here as well uh no on bass jeff hirschfeld on drums Ron Carter shows up just for one track. Yeah, and he's
1: pretty—he's pretty great on that yeah. track too. And uh, which as, is as very is unique du as well. Yeah,
0: and yeah. then what caught my eye when I saw our, this release? Yeah, our eye really. Yeah, uh, Bill Frisell.
1: We both love him on
0: guitar on yeah. uh, four tracks, and um, the instrumentation and arrangement on this album actually is just fits uh, Bill Frisell's strong points because it's a sparse, open uh, type of recording. Uh, which I think highlights Frizzell's tone and his, you know, ability to just place these little pearls of notes uh, that you know go right. to other worlds. Yeah, yeah really kind beautiful.
2: Of,
1: uh, yeah. Tone so on that electric guitar of his,
0: uh, we start out with a piece uh, by Baden Powell and Vincius de Moraes, "A Canto de Oshana." This is a got a bluesy bass intro that's joined by the piano on descending chords. Frizzell adds his distinctive sound on some answering licks around uh, the soprano sax Mm. that's on here.
2: You
1: always know
0: it's him. Yep. (laughs) Uh, The second part of the melody is more uplifting in contrast to the bluesy first. Uh, That's something we'll see again. Uh, Hirschfeld keeps a light kind of jazzy samba beat and Frizzell gets a bluesy solo with great tone and attacks. Uh, Drew's some uh, nice soprano blowing time here and the next time around with Frizzell adding tasty answers to his lines. It settles down for a quiet ending with Frizzell's muted, high-picked notes. Very tasty. Hmm. Uh, Track two, another by uh, Powell and uh, Vincius de Moraes, Canto de Chango. Uh, Bass and space piano notes in the intro create an atmosphere for the soprano sax to bring in the pretty minor melody the bass matches the fast figures of the melody before launching into some really cool changing bass lines underneath. Uh, Fields takes a piano solo. It starts with interesting left hand lines and moves into unpredictable rhythmic and melodic figures. The shifting bass and drum line are really appealing, and the melody comes back uh, with the sax uh, breaking up the piano solo. Uh, after about four minutes and 30 seconds, the beat stops and things turn to some free exposition. Um, oh
1: the soprano sax especially freaks yeah. out at this point
2: yeah
0: it only lasts for a minute or so though before the bass brings the groove back and they get around to the melody for one more turn uh track three uh is called uh Tristeza y Solidao, and sadness and loneliness and boy it sounds like that in a good way <laughs> um The bass with space starts this out. Uh, Mm -hmm. When you hear it, you know what I mean. Frizzell comes in on top with tone and tremolo on this slow and sad tune. This is really beautiful.
1: Yeah.
0: Um, The bass plays a mournful melodic line before Frizzell takes over the melody. The drums add just light textures, picking up a bit. As the tune reaches its climax It's a lovely interplay And a great showcase for Frizzell Yeah,
1: yeah, especially Frizzell <laughs> I was going to mention him He plays throughout on this mm-hmm. one uh, And he he sets a fantastic mood Very nice Really good
0: uh, For all Baden uh, So, in other words, uh, to Baden This is a tribute by Divignol A pretty piano intro Joined by bass and drums uh, Bass and left-hand piano Carry out a melody line As the song starts to take shape Uh, Drews comes in on tenor here to lead things along. The rhythm eventually works up into a kind of light samba, but it stays very loose uh, compared to, you know, what you normally think of as like a samba beat. Uh, Fields has an engaging piano solo over Duvigno's pulsing bass, and Drews gets an airy sax solo and continues through to the end. Um, Last we've got uh, uh, our next Track 5, uh, Blues Preta Asa Branca, which means um, black blues and white wing. And so the um, the uh, Asa Branca part is uh, by uh, Luis Gonzaga and Umberto Teixeira. And the blues part, the intro, is uh, by Duvingo. And this is the one where Ron Carter joins in. And this is a bass duo.
1: and that's it that's That's all there is the two of them
0: when have you heard this before you don't hear it very often Um, so Ron Carter joins in only on this track you got a bass duo and they trade off walking uh, slow blues and soloing throughout the tune you almost never get to hear this the effect is really cool Um, around four minutes the new melody of the Asa Branca begins and then they continue trading off uh, with Backing each other in the solo until the end which comes up with some fun overtone play on the bass
1: right I found this th- this whole idea to be very sexy there's oh, kind of yeah. like this a like, kind of real sen- sensuality to the uh to yeah. hearing these two play together there's a lot of space between them and um, just just what they kind of the feeling they brought out of these really low end instruments not low end meaning cheap but low end meaning frequency yeah. low end yeah. Um, very cool was really great this is a real highlight for me I, yeah. it was surprising too I yeah. didn't expect it to be I was waiting as interesting for yeah. some
0: other instruments. says wait this is just going to be two <laughs> yeah, basses right. so this is very cool track 6 Canto de Iemanja Ie uh, this is a Powell original tune uh, it's a rolling Wurlitzer electric piano tones and bass uh, make a bed for Drew's to put some breathy tenor sax sounds over it's very rubato and pentatonic sounding. Uh, at a minute and a half, the piano gets a rhythm going uh, with a left-hand pattern, and then Hirschfield gets a light cymbal beat matching that. Drews blows the melody with alternating sections uh, with Duvigno's bass. At around uh, 3 minutes and 30-some seconds, it dissolves, just kind of fades out, and then Duvigno starts fresh with bass again. Uh, the others join back in. Drews gets a dreamy and rhythmic uh kind of uh Wurlitzer solo with uh I'm sorry, uh what did I say there? Uh, I mean Fields uh, gets a uh solo on the Wurlitzer uh, and then uh Drews backs uh that with uh lines there. Uh Duvignot has a a bit to play. And then, uh, it dissolves again. Uh, it's like the tune starts and fades away. And then, um, there's a kind of rolling keyboard, uh, tones that come back in for a misty final section, uh, that the others add to in kind of free time. Oh, yeah. out of the rhythms. that
1: so. was a pretty startling sound the world because it's distorted so yeah. it's got like kind of a some yeah. effect on it another thing I noticed about this point is that uh, the, the saxophone has been growing in size from the first uh, track yeah. on the album yeah. like it starts as what a soprano I guess at the beginning yeah, it's very high and then you hear an alto now we're up to a tenor and I was I was waiting to to, for the uh, full-size barit- that, baritone uh, contra, section but never came bass or something yeah, yeah the, or yeah. The, at least the baritone yeah. but we didn't get to hear that but it's it's kind of like it's like this little yeah. baby and it's growing as the album goes on
0: but Drew's has this really you know when we hear Latin music we, we're we reminded of Stan Getz always because right. of that you know those uh, iconic recordings he has that kind of airy quality right that um, is nice it's sort of breathy yeah. and uh, also in his approach he doesn't overplay so it's a uh, it's a nice uh, tone to have here. Uh, track seven. Uh, this is by uh, Baden-Powell and Paolo Cesar Piñero, Uh Refem da solidão. Hostage of loneliness. Oh, another great <laughs> title. Well, it's a pretty ballad. The uh, bass shares the melody over the piano with uh, Drews on sax, and Hirschfeld does some nice brushwork. Uh, midway through the tempo picks up uh, a the Beat and it gets some uh, more Latin syncopation to it. And uh, bass and sax get solos, and there's a long pause before piano ending. And uh, track eight, uh, also by uh, Paul and Moraes, O Astronauta. I guess the, the astronaut, astronaut, the yeah. astronaut, yeah. Uh, hey, I can speak Portuguese now. Yeah.
1: Um, Drew's Lightly Bows. Uh, <laughs> I learned that O oh means the from all of those Madre Deus records right. that came out in the 90s.
0: Right. <laughs> so, on this one, Drews lightly blows the melody on tenor over bass before piano and drums join in on this swinging 6 8 ballad. This one has more of a standard jazz feeling to it. Uh, Duvignon gets a melodic solo first, floating freely over the meter. Uh, Drews is next and connects his solo back to the melody for a final go-around. Fields takes it to the end with some tasty, slowing piano lines.
1: This has kind of that feeling of those old uh, space-age bachelor pad music from the 60s, right? It's kind of, it's all chilled out, you know. Uh,
0: The next track is uh, Mata Adentro, uh, a Duvigno original, Into the Woods. Uh, Frizzell is back on this one. He gets it started and Drews joins in Uh, the melody on tenor. It's a very slow and sparse arrangement, which always highlights Frizzell's playing style. Uh, Drew's blows a short, delicate solo with piano and guitar fills. It proceeds slowly, losing momentum with some extra muted plucking figures by Frizzell at the end. Um, Track 10 by uh, Powell and uh, De Moraes again, Uh, Berenbao and Consolacio. Uh, A solo bass feature, uh, for Duvignon here starts with cool rhythmic bass tapping in the upper register for the intro, uh, with some, uh, kind of percussive effects. Uh, Duvignon gets into the lower bass register next playing rubato uh, with harmonic passages as well. He gets different rhythmic things happening on different strings at the same time, which is cool. And he works through a lot of different grooves. Uh, so this is his solo, uh, highlight on the album. Uh, and, uh, Next, another tune uh, written by Paulo in Pinheiro. Again, uh Pinha, which I guess is a place. Uh, this is a tune. Uh, I looked at the lyrics of the original. Um, as uh, something. When I die, bury me in La Pinha. So ah. sort of like uh, about this place. Uh, it's got a sax Saxon piano intro. It changes mood at about uh, one minute and 15 sex- seconds as... Uh, Duvignel plucks out a fast high bass rhythm and a new happy melody comes from the sax. Uh, Hirschfield sits out on this tune. Uh, I guess there was enough rhythm happening with the instruments. Fields takes over the melody and some soloing as it shifts to this contrasting minor section. Uh, Drews returns for the major theme and then blows a happy solo, uh, which the tune fades out on. So it's a tune with a real split personality. Uh, it's like you know, these it's like two different tunes merged together, but it's quite attractive uh in that kind of dual nature uh, that it has and then the uh, final tune uh this is um Duvenot's original uh dedicated for uh Frizzell and uh Baden called for Bill and Baden uh this one has a slow slightly swinging melody shared by Frizzell and Drew's on clarinet um. Frizzell plays a fluid guitar solo over the uh, kind of bluesy chord changes in this tune. Uh, Drews switches to soprano sax for his solo, um, so we don't get to hear the clarinet. Uh, He does a lot of exploring the upper register and has some uh, really fluid lines here. Uh, Fields gets a rhythmic and bluesy piano solo. They return to the melody with Drew's on clarinet uh, again. Uh, they stick on this kind of ascending riff and uh, Divac now plucks out some curious high register tones hmm. um, on the bass and they fade away before the riff slows and then Frizzell adds a couple of overtones for it's these harmonics yeah, like harmonics the for the finishing ends. touched very cool yeah so yeah this album has a unique character it's nuanced nice sparse instrumentation with yeah. lots of space um, I don't know Powell's music well. I've heard one or two of his tunes before, but this is an enjoyable exploration and presentation of it. Uh, Duvignal's bass work is great. Uh, Drew's breathy sax matches the atmosphere uh, that uh, I think they want to bring across. And Frizzell's sound always gives that uh, magical touch. And hey, another recording for Ron Carter's resume. Right. Uh, just one track, <laughs> but it's he, a cool
1: one. Yeah, but he's he's just keeps pulling ahead of yeah. uh, Boris Kozlov there. There you I go. Yeah. Know.
0: So um overall, I'm glad I caught this one. Uh if you're interested in Brazilian uh, music and want some tasty bake work, bass work and um nice sax playing and uh, Dvignos a very skillful bass player, but overall I think you want this one for the vibe and uh, atmosphere this music creates. Uh it's really good.
1: Yeah, um this album was far more even with the Brazilian titles, this album was far more chilled out than I thought it would be. And it got more and more chilled out as it went. So actually yeah. if you're looking for some late night um listening that's gonna wind up with you falling asleep in bed, this is probably a good choice to put on because it yeah. does get quieter and quieter yeah. as it goes. Um whenever I hear like Brazilian music, I always think, you know, this 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 is what heaven has to be like. You hear that you hear that music. You don't hear harps, you hear like the, the boss and over feel, yeah. you're on the beach The Mm -hmm. girl from Ipanema is walking by and she sees you and thinks you're cool. Yeah. Yeah. Only in heaven. (laughs) Only in heaven. Because that's not going to happen here. Yeah. At least not to me. (laughs) Maybe you got to go back to Florence. (laughs) Maybe. I don't know. And and lose about 30 years from my life. You know, kind of be 30 years younger too would help. I don't know. Well, well, at least we have good music. We have that. We're going to have that for the rest of our life, I think. And that's good. Well, Russ, I don't want the party to end. It's our first anniversary. Uh, I, it's a special day I just want to keep going here We're just getting started
0: um, Well, listeners, I wish you could join us uh, yeah. We've got some grass-fed steaks And yeah. some nice wine uh, We're going to join in with uh, my missus Who's been patiently waiting outside the studio here uh, For our return Yeah, for, and, and for all the
1: vegetarians uh, out there We've just got the, the grass that fed the cows Yeah <laughs> <It's> a- <laughs> it's so- Our food's food <laughs>
0: <laughs> Our food's food <laughs> I think we have some olives and, uh, oh, we're going to have some, uh, well, last time we, we had broccoli and you said, do you we'd have this with cheese? So we've got some cheese for the broccoli this time too.
1: Oh, with the broccoli, what we do is we, we kind of saute it in like olive oil with, um, garlic and, uh, uh, hot chili peppers. It's really oh, good. Well, you can guide the procedure and I've oh, got
0: some let's have a look. cheese for the top of it too. So.
1: Yeah. I like it. I like sauteed broccoli oh. a lot The way Italians, they, they just know how to do yeah. it. I think it's so good. All right. All right. Anyway. So we're gonna go out in style for
0: episode fifty, starting a new year. Right. Of adult and
1: music. Please celebrate our uh fifth our first anniversary upload, which will be February fifteenth. A lot of you will be listening to this episode on that date. Right. Okay.
0: And uh what's gonna be uh there's so many new releases coming out. We're going to have a yeah. solid packed... Uh, I,
1: th- I think I've got two more weeks of 2021, and that's going to be like all 2022 from there. It won't just right. be 2021. I'll right. have some 2022 releases like in there, but now it's yeah it's starting to explode in right. classical music like t- from Friday, this Friday, the yeah. 11th, today. Right. And uh, yeah, a lot of stuff is starting to come out now.
0: So a lot to look forward to. So episode 50 adult music the podcast with music for the mature mind thanks for listening again please do like and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening to us on if you'd like to get in touch we'd be happy to hear from you at adult music podcast all one word at gmail.com you can find us now on
1: facebook too you can leave a comment there on facebook too. that'd be nice just under the episode or something just say say what you like
0: we'd like to know where you're from what you're listening to and we'll be back again for a new season Next week? Well, we're—I think we're still on the same like never-ending season. Is it? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. We could call it season two. We could go year we could two. Just Let's on. just say year, year two. two. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Lots more to come. Yep. So we'll see you again next week for episode fifty-one.